the way your camera was set up when you first got on the call, I could just only see Fro. I know. And then it's the slow pan down the fucking 2001 also Sprock Zarathustra. Hey Joe man, what's good? I've had a mon- mental conundrum of the last 12 hours. This uh this sounds pretty serious. You ever struggle with the decision to stay up later and take a shit or just wait until the morning to do it? <laughs> no, I can't I can't say I've ever had that one. No, that one is uh that particular I get that with with eating. You know, it's like uh. I'm hungry. I know that like eating some food is going to make it easier to fall asleep because I won't be hungry, but also it's going to give me energy, which will, in the short term, make it harder to fall asleep. And also, I just want to be in bed, you know? So, like, <laughs> the polar opposite of my problems? The, yes, exactly. Uh-huh. The exact physical opposite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. Anyway. I was thinking about that last night as I was going to bed, wondering if I should get back up. And I thought that might be something fun to uh, make a cold open for. <laughs> I was like, how how can I keep my cold opens entirely random? <laughs> I thought you were going to say like, oh, that'll be a fun activity for tomorrow. I don't need to. <laughs> no. I don't need to to waste this bowel movement for what I'm barely awake to enjoy it. Yeah, right. It's like you know how how. It's a never-ending question. This bothers me. I'm so I'm so up in the air about how. Like, okay, this is the like. Is that your directional mic? It's well, it's my like pop catcher. Oh right, yeah. So it like takes away the stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I had it going down, I kept on hitting it when I was um, building Legos on stream. And so after I got off stream, I haven't been on camera since my last Twitch session. Uh, and I'm like, well, this isn't going to work either. Cool. Yeah. Good to know. So for those of you joining us in this purely audio <laughs> medium. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You guys can't see me. Will's got About that. the the cord or the, the sort of boom arm of his pop catcher. Covering his face on on camera, yeah, cool. It makes for real like home improvement neighbor vibes. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> did I just age ourselves? Cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think I think we're we're pretty squarely. I mean, we're thirty six now. We're basically, dude. We're on the back half of the way to forty. That's that's terrifying. Oh no, yeah, we are. Yeah. That's that's it's not a great thing. To it's terrifying. Out. Yeah. Should we should we uh, should we uh, forestall our existential anxiety by talking about comic books and other juvenile delights? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the bright side, this was a fun week of comics for me. So good. <laughs> good. Excellent. Wonderful.
So yeah, this is Hype is My Superpower. It's a podcast where we talk about things we're hyped on, such as comics, such as mm-hmm. No Mun by Nick Harkaway. And who are you? Oh, my name's Steve Storman. <laughs> I'm in Brooklyn, New York, yada, yada, yada. Joining me <laughs> on the line via the miracles of modern technology. It's my good buddy, Will Freeland. <laughs> Oh wow. Dude, are so me being low energy is not a quint like I'm not the only one who's low energy and out of it right now. <laughs> That's all I want to point out. Okay. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. Also, I really need to shower. My hair looks terrible. Okay. But none of you listeners can can see that. So that's your fine. hair looks resplendent. Thanks, man. Yeah. So yeah, any any uh, anything else on your mind before we get into the episode proper? Only thing on my mind right now is finishing coordinating Carlos's bachelor party. Oh, awesome! So yeah, shout, shout out, out to Carlos. Carlos. I'm sure he's gonna. I'm sure he's gonna hear this before we actually leave for his bachelor party. So I'm not gonna <laughs> right. give any details about his freaking <laughs> bachelor party. <laughs> yeah. So our our buddy Carlos has been he. Last week, I think he started listening from episode one and he's already on 20. I think it's been a week. Yeah. yeah. What an absolute madman. And he's already on like the 20s of episodes. Insane. Yeah. And very flattering. I yeah, agree. Right? Like who wants to hear us, us. that much? <laughs> no kidding. Wow. And you can't even like, I guess he can pause us whenever he wants, but like <laughs> he can't like interject. <laughs> You have no you know control he over does. this conversation. You know he does. He's like, dude, dude. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So Carlos's uh, bachelor party is next weekend. I just, awesome. I will complain about one thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few things to complain about this weekend. Yeah, but go off. He's he can hear you now. So talk all the shit you ahead. want. Yeah. No, it's fucking. <laughs> so I rented a car because I don't want to have to empty out my car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to carpool with Chris and pick up Carlos. Oh yeah, those are two large men. Would, yeah, <laughs> I don't think my gas mileage can take it. No, but <laughs> car, renting a car is expensive these days, man. Mm-hmm. Like it has like doubled in price from when I used to be in the business of renting cars. Yeah, all the car rental places sold off their fleets at the start of the pandemic, and then with the microchip shortage, they haven't been able to get them back, and so <laughs> it's just been crazy. Yeah, dude. Like a weekend rental used to be like two, three hundred bucks. And now I'm looking at I'm doing a four day rental because I'm picking it up on Thursday because we're leaving Friday morning. But um, it's like it's like it's it's over five hundred bucks. Yeah, I was. So I've got a car here in New York, which is a terrible idea and I don't recommend it generally. (laughs) I've been thinking about getting rid of it. And I was like, well, you know, Rachel and I like to do a couple long road trips every year. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys travel here and there. Yeah. And it's nice to, you know, like get in the car, get out of the city, do whatever. I almost never drive it from place to place in the city. But, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get out, you know, maybe once once a month. But if we ha- didn't have a car, maybe we'd do that every other month. And I'm like, okay, so if we only take a trip like every other month, what is that in rental? Oh God! Like, yeah, it's just as expensive to pay a parking it's more garage expensive. every month because you know my car's paid off. So it's like the difference between 
paying, yeah, for this garage every month and city insurance, which is expensive as hell, versus like just taking rental cars whenever we need it. Like I wouldn't be saving any money. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. It's like of everything I've done as far as planning this freaking weekend. Yeah. That is the most surprising thing. (laughs) I'm also pissed because I've been able to cluster the days and events within geographic semi locations to each other, Mm -hmm. except for Saturday afternoon. It's like, I don't know, you have to zoom out on the map to see it. Yeah. And I've looked for other venues and none of them are close. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, man, like, I don't want to go. And there's a part of me that's a little nervous about timing, but I think it should work because it's like, it's an activity that we're going to start sweating a bit and we need to be able to get back to the house and everyone shower before we go to a nice dinner. Mm. Like there's a little bit of, uh, and there's nine freaking of us. So like that is a lot of groomsmen. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I look forward to when we next record hearing it, hearing how it all turned out and hearing the, to hopefully a like really tired review of, (laughs) of the weekend. Yes. Awesome. I guess I'm, if I get home in time, I'm going to be streaming on Sunday. And so you can check in on that too. Sweet. Sounds great. Shameless, shameless side plug. Shameless plug. Twitch.tv slash silver with a Y dreamer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Been doing birthday stuff this week. Yeah. You just had your birthday. Yeah. Just turned 36. Only, only 11 days behind, you know, the pace setter on this podcast here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Rachel took me on a, um, see, we went on a hike one day and then another day went for Szechuan food out in Queens. Flushing just has all of the like authentic and, and like really good Asian food from everywhere. So very exciting. And then last night we went on a tour of Greenwood Cemetery, a nighttime mm. tour. Where they kind of tell you all the, you know, take you to cool spots of people who died in interesting ways and tell you about, yeah. That sounds morbid and really interesting. (laughs) Dude, Greenwood Cemetery is gigantic. There are over 500,000 bodies buried there. Wow. Yeah, you, you just look at it in a map and you're like, holy crap. Like, that's a substantial chunk of Brooklyn right there. Mm. Yeah, extremely pretty. Very cool at night. It was a really good time. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you had a good birthday week. Yeah, absolutely. And then Rachel made me a pie today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. It's really, really tasty. So I'm looking forward to apple pie. Ooh. Yeah. Looking forward at the end of this to eating some more of that. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) So would you read this week? Oh, man. So what did I read this week? Uh, Okay. So I read Power Pack. It's a one-shot. I was expecting very little out of this. Power Pack, wow. Power Pack, when they first became a thing, were like all like eight and under. It's a, it's four children. Yes. Their last names the are Power. power yeah. And they're, they're given superpowers by this dying alien. Chimerian? <laughs> Chimerian race or something? Something. I, I read the Power Pack 
crossed over a good deal with X-Men books back in the 80s because the writer on Power Pack was the editor of X-Men and then went on to write runs on X-Factor and New Mutants, mm-hmm. Louise Simonson. And so they'd cross over from time to time and it was always just like, man, <laughs> <laughs> this is dumb. Yeah. yeah. And that actually makes sense because they reach out to Wolverine in one of the issues to hang out with him for a little bit. Nice. There is a little bit of out of character stuff, but it's sure. fine. It's a power pack comic, but um, I was, <laughs> I was happily surprised by power pack. So cool. We'll talk about that. Yeah. And then Holy crap. The second volume of Thor. Uh-huh. Donny Cates is Thor. Okay. Donny Cates is Thor for reference. Going over the first volume is the first time that I realized that I spent way too much time going over a volume of comics that I've read on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> I spent like I spent like 75 minutes going over six issues of <laughs> of Thor because it just was so mind-blowing and insane. You this were is my hyped. second chance. You were hyped. I was so incredibly hyped. This is my second chance to try to address that. <laughs> Except <laughs> this is eight issues. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. But it was it is. I wow. Okay, so the cover is King Thor looking at like a reflection or something of Donald Blake. Mm, mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, so maybe something about like him spending time as Donald Blake or something. I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking of Straczynski when he left Spider-Man, he moved over to DC and he wrote a Superman comic Mm -hmm. called Grounded. And I actually bought it because it was Straczynski. Yeah. And it took place after some big storyline for Superman. And basically the point was that Superman was out of touch with humanity. And so he spent a week just walking across America. (laughs) Much like Colossus walking across Europe (laughs) or Conan walking across literally the entire world. world. (laughs) And it was just him kind of get just like having like little one issue arcs of helping general neighbor like some guy was working on his car and superman helped him with his car and like random stuff like that so i was thinking that's what we're going to get here Mm -hmm. thor being now odin force god all father god thor trying to get back in touch with yeah i thought that maybe he wanted to get back in touch because also there's this whole thing with mjolnir getting heavier right yeah i was thinking maybe it was gonna have to do with that but we'll see and then volume 12 of Amazing Spider-Man. Damn, just back at it. Back at it. Well, okay, so yeah. So, I mean, there was going to be like two weeks in between but Last Remains play. and this. <laughs> but things got pushed back so much oh, that like they just kind of overlapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Last Remains ended with everything going in black, basically. Right. And Norman and Kingpin teaming up. And Mary Jane getting hit with a pumpkin bomb. And so this is kind of like semi-aftermath, I mean, definitely aftermath, a little bit of closure on it, but not enough questions are answered for me. (laughs) So, okay, and I don't even know what volume 13 is going to be because I'm, because King and Black is coming up. So like, I don't know if they're really going to be able to spend much time dealing with this kindred stuff Mm -hmm. with King and Black going on. So I just have so many questions. (laughs) I was charging to try to get through Immortal Hulk, Volume 9. This one's called The Weakest There Is. Mm -hmm. The Weakest One There Is. 
but I'm only about halfway through. So okay. I'll save that for next time. Sounds good. So that's 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 where I'm at. And then how many chapters are we doing for uh the Nomon? Two. Two chapters. Two Excellent. chapters. Yeah. Is one of them gonna be a paragraph again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Not to spoil the bit, but yes. That's hilarious. <laughs> Stu Stu's finished, by the way. Oh, good. Cool. Yeah. We were just we were just like talking about it on Friday while we were playing. Sweet. But yeah, so I'm stoked. Okay. Shall we just hop into it? Let's hop into it. Where are you starting? I think I'm going to start with Power Pack. I'm really excited because I don't have like a comic that I'm just like, eh, about this week. Cool. That's awesome. It's It's been a while. Yeah. Who's the creative team on Power Pack, if you don't mind me asking? So Power Pack is written by Ryan North. Oh, okay. Oh, what a what a perfect what a perfect match. <laughs> you have uh, Ryan, Nico Ryan North, who did Rick. Squirrel Girl and also Dinosaur Comics, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, okay, got you. So this takes place basically during Kamala's Law and Cradle. Mm, the uh, Outlawed yeah, event. Outlawed. Yeah. The Power Pack have grown a bit. Uh huh. So Power Pack are four brothers and sisters. Their last name is Power. You have Jack, or sorry, the youngest is Katie. When they first came out, she was like a toddler. Yep. Her power is to consume mass and turn it into energy. Okay. Which is super interesting. Like it's it reminds me of like a gambit, but like instead of turning potential energy, yeah, she like actually destroys matt like so she's a she's like a nuclear reactor yeah oof with zero nuclear waste (laughs) (laughs) imagine that right so you've got katie power you have jack power his ability is to expand and shrink okay but he keeps the same i feel i feel like he keeps the same number of like molecules basically so because when he shrinks he gets incredibly dense okay and then when he expands he turns into like this gaseous form huh okay. and so that's how he like flies and then julie julie power is the next oldest and she has super speed and flight and when she flies there's like this red blue and yellow streak behind her okay which is really odd yeah i think just because when they first made her they wanted to make her like just like this fun thing to look at when she flies around i guess Mm -hmm. she's also incredibly smart like she's like she's like she's like your book smart sure i'm gonna drop some big words on you to make you confused and think my way out of this kind of thing yeah yeah and then the oldest is alex power his ability is um, gravity manipulation yeah. And we've seen him, you and I have seen him on like Future Foundation. <laughs> yeah. Which is perfect because his suit was already black and white. And so <laughs> he just fit in perfectly with the Future Foundation, whose motif is black and white. Right. Alex also spent, is still currently on the Future Foundation and mm-hmm. has gone on space adventures. And so his, he has aged unnaturally because oh. of like space travel kind of thing. Kind of uh, similar to Franklin. Yeah. And so his body is like 20, 21, huh. but legally he's still, I think, like 17 or 18, like on Earth. <laughs> wow. Okay. And so point is, he falls under cradle law also. Oh, okay. Even though he is pretty old. <laughs> right. 
On top of that, the powers as parents don't know that they have superpowers. Right. The volume starts with this like hand-drawn child art of their like origin story. And it's all drawn by Katie. This is actually how I found out what their origin is. And I don't know uh-huh. how accurate it is because it's as told by a child. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but basically these giant green lizard people were attacking Earth. And then there is another alien that apparently is named Whitey. And that's where I'm like, ah, <laughs> is it? <laughs> but she calls him Whitey and he, and he, in her comic, he's called Whitey. Whitey wins. And then the green guys come back and Whitey dies. And while he's dying, he gives the four kids his powers. Mm-hmm. So apparently he had all four of these powers and then divvied them up among the children. Then the four kids got the powers. They go and fight and uh, defeat the green aliens and now they're just living their life. So all of the kids come back to home with the parents because it's their like 25th anniversary or some, or 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And so they're all having like a family get together for their anniversary present. Katie wants to give this comic that she wrote to their parents to let them know that they have powers now. Uh-huh. And everyone's like, that's a terrible idea. Let's not do that. <laughs> Let's not tell them yet. Let's like figure this out. So anyway, their parents are also really oblivious to stuff because they fully believe every lie that their daughter tells them to get Uh out. Like that Julie tells them, she's like, yeah, I'm going to take them all to the park. (laughs) We'll be back in a bit. And there's like, Mm -hmm. okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, also their, their suits are made out of unstable molecules. Uh-huh. And the only reason why this is interesting is because I've been under the impression that Reed Richards created unstable molecules for the suits of, of the Fantastic Four. So Johnny would be fine and Sue can turn invisible and be fine. Yeah, I think Reed that was stretch the case. Yada, yada. Yeah. But she says that, cool suit, right? Why, why do you spaceship Friday gave us costumes? They show up when we want them to. Friday said they're made of unstable molecules, but they seem pretty good to me. <laughs> and that that's, that's Katie's narration. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me that this ship also could make unstable molecules. I don't know. That checks out. Like That seems proprietary. <laughs> yeah, I don't but know. if it's alien technology, you can imagine that two different, you know, Two different people, two different civilizations came up with it independently. The same thing, I guess. Yeah, it's just it's it's just a nitpicky thing. Like what? Yeah. It's it's those things that like I read it and then I'm like, wait a second, and it takes me out of the flow. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. The first issue is narrated by Katie. Mm-hmm. When they're at dinner with the family, they overhear that this guy called the Boogeyman, who's like their first villain, is attacking an orphanage, and the Boogeyman likes to eat people children specifically okay so they go and fight him they take him out and in taking him out that's when cradle shows up and cradle's like you guys are in violation of kamala's law you know you guys are under arrest yeah then the second issue is now narrated by jack and basically each issue is going to be narrated by a different sibling which is kind of fun yeah this guy named Agent Ether shows up who looks like the most cookie cutter, boring superhero uh, <laughs> okay, I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, just anytime you in like a cartoon, you want to have, oh, this is the superhero. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's okay. all white and blue. He's got swirls for his design. Anyway, Agent Ether shows up and he's like, here's my card. Here's my superhero card. If you guys want a sponsor, <laughs> you seem to know what you're doing. I can just help here and there, give you guys pointers. Obviously, you know what you're doing. So, but yeah. anyway, I the only reason why I bring this up is one, he's a character, but also his superhero card <laughs> is kind of funny. So says powers, flight, strength, long distance, hearing, and vision, above average speed, new to big city style heroism, but has fought for folksy, honest justice in the American Midwest for years, <laughs> believes in peace, justice, and the American way, but not in like a nationalist sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> I respect the sovereignty and unique identity of other nations and peoples. Your friendly pal who can lift a train. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. <laughs> and so basically he vouches for them. And then the agent that's there isn't all for it. And then Julie throws a bunch of big words at them. And uh-huh. she says, okay, the law, Kamala's law. It says anyone under 21 needs a mentor. Yeah. But does the law actually define what under 21 is? <laughs> and she's like, no, because everyone knows what age means. Nice try. But zero G is going down with the rest of you, regardless of how much time he's spent in space. And yet I'm not aware of a single case establishing the legal status of someone with a relativistic age discontinuity. <laughs> Seems to be a case like that would delve into unresolved legal issues of identity, proprioception, and self, and could easily go all the way to the Supreme Court. And given that these actionable obscurities are at the very foundation of your <laughs> apparently beloved Kamala's law, it would be a shame if it were stayed immediately after coming into effect, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> and the agent's like gripping her 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 nose bridge like she's got a headache. She's like, your point. He's like, let us go now. And we promised to find a mentor ASAP. She's like, oh, fine. So wait, Alex, like after they leave, Alex like proprioception. <laughs> she's like, it's what it's what lets you know where your body parts are, so you can touch your nose when your eyes are closed. Look, sometimes what I need to impress a small mind is a big word. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Damn. That that came up in Nomon a couple chapters ago. Neith was having trouble with proprioception after spending so much time in, in other people's memories. It was screwing with her. It, she 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 was having like the phantom urge to scratch her testicles um, from yeah from the Kiriakos chapter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's weird how these things overlap sometimes. Right. So now, throughout the rest of the second issue, they basically are going around the cosmos trying to find a mentor. They try to go get Thor. They try to go get Deadpool. <laughs> they want Hulk. Just different heroes that they know. Sure. They're like, ooh, what about Frog Thor? <laughs> <laughs> also known as Throg, by the way. Yeah. And it's funny. So when they ask Sif about Frog Thor, and Sif just says, I would direct thee to the sign, kid. And there's a giant wall sign apparently that says no we do not know where frog thor is and verily tis insulting when the suggests a mid-guardian frog makes a perfectly viable substitute for our literal king forsooth <laughs> amazing <laughs> so anyway they give they give up on finding people and they check in with agent ether and agent ether is like you guys clearly have the fighting thing down however comma what do you think about like doing something bigger, like giving the world cheap and reliable electric power? 
And they're like, wait, what? And he's like, I'm serious. I've researched everything, tried everything. And this is where people with our gifts can have the single greatest impact on society. He's not wrong. I know, right? Electricity is the difference between a house that's freezing and a house that keeps your newborn sister warm and alive. Between food that can get when it's cheap and then freeze and food that spoils in a few days. It's metal equipment, it's fire alarms, it's water purifiers, reliable and affordable electricity alone has been shown to reduce poverty, inequality, and child mortality while increasing employment, empowerment, and health. Heck, it even boosts overall education scores. And we can give that to the world. And so he has these ideas on how to use all four of their powers to generate electricity, free and cheap electricity. Yeah. He's thinking about like a steam engine, basically for Katie. She just charges up some water, creates this, creates a steam Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. spins a wheel electricity for Jack for mass master. Also, sorry, Katie's hero name is Energizer. They've also changed them like a million times. I think so. Jack's superhero name is Massmaster. Mm-hmm. Alex is Zero G, and Julie is Lightspeed. Yeah, Massmaster would just be in a giant like tube, and he'd expand <laughs> and contort and expand and contort, and so okay. just creating the pressure that way. Yeah, Zero G, you could dynamically change the gravity of one side of a turbine to rotate it, or if that doesn't work, simply lift falling water back to top of the water wheel for a perfect clean energy. <laughs> so basically creating his own little like water system. Yeah. And then light speed would just grab a giant turbine and spin it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was like, listen, like, I really think you could do a lot of good with this. Think about it. I mean, it seems pretty airtight. I know, right? So they're like, you know what? Sounds cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so they tell Agent Ether that they're in. And then we get one of those like looming epilogue scenes of Agent Ether with freaking, gosh, what is it called? The Boogeyman. Boogeyman Uh, shows up at Agent Ether's house and he's like, all right, are we all good? And he's like, yep, you can deactivate. And then it's just like this like robot with like a hologram and it just goes apart. And then Asian Ether is like, ha like my plans. Um, <laughs> and he removes his costume and it ends up being the wizard of all people. Huh, okay. They really just did not want to let that go for very long. <laughs> <laughs> but the wizard is a Fantastic Four villain, mm-hmm. primarily, I believe. And he's a genius inventor is really his kind of thing. He's obsessed with world domination. He has clones and one. Including Bentley Seven. Bentley Seven is his most successful clone. Bentley is also on the Future Foundation. Yeah, alongside Alex. Yeah, which, spoiler alert, they don't talk about that. Oh, that's a bummer. Comic, which is kind of weird. Anyway, so they're doing their infinite energy thing and they're doing it like part-time on the side after school they come across taskmaster Uh and they try to stop them and they realize that their powers are super weakened oh turns uh out that agent ether has been stealing their power and is using the power and to give himself their powers basically the four are generally powerless now the thinker has all these abilities and then <laughs> wizard, not, not think. mad thinker is a different. Mad thinker is a complete different person. My bad. <laughs> yeah. Wizard has all these abilities. And then he's like working on 
his plan for world domination and setting everything up. While he's doing that, the power pack try to figure out how to reverse the process and get their abilities back. And in doing that, they go and reach out to Wolverine. <laughs> and so they reach out to Wolverine by going to the mutant, the Kirkoan embassy in town and leaving a note. <laughs> and they're like, hey, Mr. Wolverine, uh, we need your help. It's the power pack. I don't know how secure this is. Just So just call us. Wait, Energizer says you don't have our number. <laughs> Wolverine, come see us, please. That was Katie. Okay, please mentor us by the power pack. So that night, Logan shows up at the Powers house and they have to pretend like Logan is part of this like study group mentor thing that is helping kids K through 12 to <laughs> for all of them. And his okay. name is Professor Brucey Mansworth. <laughs> because everyone chimed in, they're like, Professor Brucey Mansworth. <laughs> Professor, <laughs> Professor Brucey Mansworth. And then their dad's just like, Dr. James Power, a pleasure to, a pleasure. <laughs> Call me James. Call me Brucey. <laughs> so anyway, they break it down and Logan's like, hell yeah, I'm in. So they come up with a new costume for him to be like their villain. So basically they're going to stage an attack for them to fight. And they're going to use all these like stage props to pretend like they still have their powers to trick wizard into thinking that he hasn't stolen all of their powers yet. So he's going to go and take them and put, throw them back into the vats where he stole their powers from. And then he's going to activate it. And somehow they're going to get their powers back from going through that process. So the whole reason why I'm saying that is because we have to show that they made a new costume for him and they're calling him Wolverine. <laughs> and he is Wolverine's evil twin. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they do all kinds of stage effects and and call outs pretending like their abilities are still there and they still have access to their hidden special moves and wizard sees it on the news and he's like you guys didn't tell me about these damn special moves i didn't have all your powers what the hell and so goes and gets them and puts them through the process. Turns out they got their powers back. And the only reason why that happened is because Wolverine, being the stealth master that he is, uh -huh. snuck them into the lab and reversed the process. So when he hit go, it took the powers from him and gave them back to the kids. Nice. So anyway, the fifth issue is split into being narrated by all four kids. Mm -hmm. And then it ends with them talking about Basically, these five issues were written and arted or drawn by <laughs> sure. Jack. They're like, holy crap, look at how good he is at art. This is kind of <laughs> cool. And so he and he really wants to make a YouTube page for Mass Master because <laughs> he fantasizes about being a YouTube influencer. <laughs> God, the kids are not all right. <laughs> they got Katie to go along with it and let her do all of the flashback recap pages. Uh -huh. So the first page of every issue is that same kind of like oh drawing, cool kitty art drawing. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. With like terrible spelling and everything. It's it's amazing. So anyway, so they made this comic for their parents to tell them <laughs> about their powers, and they're going to agree to give it to them at some point in the future. Sweet. Yeah. And so it was kind of cool. 
it ended up just kind of being like this one shot volume kind of meta. (laughs) (laughs) You would expect nothing else from Ryan North. Yes. Right. (laughs) And just it's like one story of Julie and Alex coming home for like a couple weeks and them putting this comic together to show their parents like what's been happening. It was kind of fun. It was a nice little heartfelt little volume. Excellent. That's really cool. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as you said power pack, I was like, uh Oh, but as soon as you said Ryan North, I was like, okay, (laughs) that's just such a perfect fit. Like, yeah. Yeah. When I was buying, when I was picking up my comics and when power pack was in the stack, I was like, (laughs) well, (laughs) this is, this is my bed. (laughs) Yeah. I made this bed. Right. But no, yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Moving along. I don't know which one to cover first between Thor and Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> do do Thor. I can do Thor. Okay. So if I can attempt a recap here. Sure. Because there was a lot. Last volume of Thor was insane. Like you said, there's a whole thing with Mjolnir getting heavier. And there was some crazy business with Galactus becoming Thor's herald, right? Galactus just everybody's herald all willy-nilly. Gala- Thor became the herald of Galactus. Thor became because the herald. Galactus is the herald of the all black or whatever. The black right. winter. Right, right. There's the whole so Thor had to go through this like vision quest or something to understand like how to defeat the the all black, the black winter. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Pretty much. The black winter is the reason why the last universe ended. Right. And it shows Galen right. of Ta to survive to be his herald right. for this universe. Yeah. Basically, whoever gets consumed by the Black Winter sees how they're gonna die. Okay. And Thor, when confronting the Black Winter, he has to fight like his this like best hits, greatest hits of all the villains he's ever fought. Yeah. And then he uses Galactus as a bomb. to kill the black winter so basically using the power cosmic and galactus as a bomb and then he was given a vision of how he's gonna die and it involved a thanos holding mjolnir mjolnir having the six infinity gems embedded into it (laughs) he had this black gauntlet in his other hand and behind him was a was a bunch of superheroes as marvel zombies oh Oh, right. Okay. And that's what made you all like geeked out about the Marvel Zombies yeah. reunion. Okay. Yeah. So, and, oh, <laughs> and then he added the helmet of Galactus to the front of the Bifrost Bridge. Right. Dear God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot happens mm-hmm. and a lot has already happened. And that was quote unquote, just six issues. Right. So this is this next volume is eight issues. There's the first two are more things happening, and then that jumps into a six issue arc. Okay. Yeah. Hit me with it. Let's go. Man. Okay. So the first issue is dealing more closely with the fact that Mjolnir can be picked up by anyone. Mm-hmm. Well, not sorry. The theory is that it can be picked up by everyone. So okay. the forward is saying. And the problem is worse than he knows. For while Mjolnir grows heavy for Thor, it becomes lighter for everyone else. Even his huh. brother Loki has held the hammer now. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Sif bifrosted the hammer that he threw at her to Jotunheim, and then Loki picked it up, and he's like, that's weird, and then it got sent away. So, what's his face? So, Thor sends Mjolnir down to Earth, just and he chose Broxton, Oklahoma again. Oh, Broxton. (laughs) This guy, who's like a random guy, his name is Adam Aziz. He's the mechanic in town. Mjolnir lands kind of like down the street from him. Mm-hmm. They spent like a page introducing Adam and like his history. Basically, checkered past, went to jail, got a bunch of tattoos, sure. came back to Broxton to take on the family mechanic business. Okay. Then we get back to Asgard. Thor reached out to Bill. Bill, son of Bill. Well, oh no, not not Bill from Broxton. Oh, Beta Ray okay. Bill. Beta Ray Bill. Okay. Uh, who he took Stormbreaker away from and broke it. Oh. In the last volume. And so right. things are tough between him and Beta Ray Bill. And Thor wanted to basically chat with him and be like, how you doing? And <laughs> Bill's like, we're not here to be friends. Like, you've made that very clear, yeah, sir. <laughs> and basically, because of the vision that Thor had, he wanted to know what the latest is with Thanos. What's going on with Thanos? Because mm. currently in 616, Thanos is dead. Right. Basically, Thanos <laughs> Thanos <laughs> was killed by Gamora, had a last will and testament, and something, something, something. His consciousness is like embedded in Star Fox. Huh, his brother, okay. his brother, yeah. To try to, if Casey ever died, he would take over his body and go and make a new one, kind of thing. That gets loosely covered in in the last Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Story. Anyway, on Thor's hammer in Broxton, something is written, and Adam goes up to the hammer and he calls a number, and it turns out to be Iron Man. So <laughs> Iron Man shows up, okay. and he's like. Which one of you is Adam Aziz? And Adam's like, hi, uh, that'd be me. And he's like, listen, I found it just like I told you. I was just working my shop in this old pickup. And he's like, yeah, 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 I don't care. I'm a little (laughs) more concerned about how you managed to call me on my personal and very, very private home number. (laughs) Oh, well, um, I didn't mean to intrude. It was just, oh, for the love of. And it's engraved on Mjolnir. Call Tony Stark. Here's his phone number. <laughs> and the reason why that happened is because in the first volume, Tony wrote on it, <laughs> wrote on Mjolnir and like pen because it was like lying around. And then Thor yeah. got it back and he's like, you son of a bitch. So anyway, <laughs> this is just a little tit for tat. So the reason why Thor called in Bill, other than asking about Thanos, he says, I've seen a vision Something is coming. Something is wrong with me, with Asgard, and with fate. I've called you here. There may come a time, perhaps soon, that I may have to step away from the throne. Hmm. And he says, I fear I cannot trust myself these days, and I will need you at my side if I fall, if I'm corrupted, or, Bill, I'm asking, will you be my second in command? Act when I cannot. Will you lead the armies of Asgard as their master of war? And he's like, knock you on your head when you're being an ass. He's like, yeah, that. It's okay, but I'll need a new hammer. So they go to the armory. He's like, pick anything from here. If you don't see something that you want, I'll have the doors make it. Whatever yeah. whatever you fucking need. 
yeah. because I destroyed your Stonebreaker. Right. <laughs> he notices that uh, Mjolnir is gone. He's like, where's Mjolnir? And that gives us the chance to go back to Broxton. The engraving on Mjolnir has changed. Huh. Now it says, now it says, pick it up. Huh. And Adam picks it up and he turns into a uh, uh, Thor, basically. Oh, wow. He has the powers. And he's like, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, like he's worthy of, of, you know, the hammer right now. It's, yeah. it's a very interesting time <laughs> for yeah. the hammer. No kidding. But anyway, so that's the end of the first issue. The second issue goes into a little bit more of foreshadowing and storytelling. We get introduced to... There is a great book of Kings. I don't know what it's called, but it's basically all of the stories of all of the Kings of Asgard. Oh, cool. By all the Kings. I mean, there's only been four, but (laughs) you have Broody, you have Boar, Uh you have Odin, and now you have Thor. Sure. It's a giant book. It's like a foot tall laying on its back. It's like a foot tall. Okay. (laughs) And if you're not the current King of Asgard, the pages are blank. Mm-hmm. So it only shows to the current king. So it has a flash to when Boar tried to go check it out and there was nothing. Flashes to when Odin tried went in as a young child, didn't <laughs> see anything. Mm-hmm. Thor's a young child, blah blah blah. Anyway, so this is when you get one of those like text boxes of foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. Because uh-huh. those are so much fun. And so anyway, so Thor checks it out as a king. He says he has not yet read about the golden shadow, the second god of lies, the lightning that walks, the king in stone, nor has he realized that the book itself seems to grow lighter every day. Its chapter shorter is suddenly race entirely, the black, its black ending racing faster with every page turned. What the hell? Okay. Yeah. So now I have this checklist of <laughs> Donny Cates' run on Thor. Yes. I need to look for the golden shadow. Golden I need shadow. to look for the second god of lies. Second god I need of to lies. look for the lightning that walks. Lightning and that walks. I need walks. to look for the king in stone. Yes. I don't think I've seen any of these yet. Well, the shadow might be the all black, right? The golden shadow. The I golden don't, I don't shadow. Think. Oh. Yeah. So those are four things that I need to keep an eye out for. Interesting. Okay. So anyway, we get we get another check-in basically with Adam and figuring out what's going on. You have Thor show up and you have Tony take the hammer from Adam before Thor can get it back again. And we just have another one of the like God flexes. So <laughs> Tony's like, I need some fucking answers. Cause this is, things are getting out of hand here. Yeah. Why, why are random people picking up Mjolnir? Why did you make him worthy? Why am I able to hold this right now? Yeah. What's going on with you? Why did you give people my freaking number? Like yeah. <laughs> all these things. Tony's like, I need some answers. And Thor just says, I do not answer to you. Oh. And Tony's like, fine. And he smacks Thor with Mjolnir boosted by rockets on his gauntlet. (laughs) Oh man. Right. But then that is Thor's reaction. It's just a tilted head. (laughs) And then (laughs) you have, you have Thor being like, all right, fine. This is how it's going to be. So his eyes light up and then he says, Tony, listen to me very carefully. Do not mistake wielding the hammer for wielding my power. 
lightning starts to crackle. Everything starts to get blue, like I freaked out about last volume. Mm-hmm. Mjolnir or not, I am still a god. And you, page turn, <laughs> are a tin man in a lightning storm. And it pans back, and there's just like lightning outlined, a giant hammer shape in the field that they're standing on. Damn. <laughs> and Tony's like, well, as far as arguments go, that's compelling <laughs> he gives the hammer back <laughs> so basically it turns out that thor did this whole thing with broxton to get tony's attention interesting he says i i want to ask you a favor please i need your oath if word spreads that any man or beast may weed wield mjolnir no matter their worthiness i fear another war we cannot allow hmm. and he's like sounds good <laughs> i got you like <laughs> i'll i'll keep a lid on this yeah. no worries Thank you. <laughs> and he's like, I wrote on your hammer. You gave out my number. Well, now I have video footage of me of me hitting you in the face with your own hammer. So top that big guy. And he's like, challenge accepted. And Tony leaves. So anyway, <laughs> it ends with Adam and Thor kind of having a little talking to. And Adam's like, okay, I'm good to go. How do I change back, by the way? <laughs> he's like, oh, you just, you just slammed the hammer on the ground. You'll turn back. He's like, oh, okay. So anyway, so he gives it back and basically he was, he's letting him know that something is weird with Mjolnir and Adam, as he walks away, he's like, listen, I'm not an Avenger or nothing, but I'm pretty good mechanic. <laughs> and that thing you just done got me thinking. A machine is a machine, you know, you can fiddle with it all you want, but sometimes, most times you'll find that turning something off and turning it back on again will fix most things. <laughs> and so basically we spent two issues kind of getting thor to think about taking a break yeah it's like turn it off again turn on again tony's like you need to take a weekend off you seem really tightly wound like you need some time so it ends with thor looking at an old picture of donald blake and his family clinic that he apparently started Mm -hmm. so then you get into prey part one so prey is the name of the story the six issues we get a quick kind of background on Donald Blake. So Odin created Donald Blake mm-hmm. for Thor. Right. It wasn't like some human that ended up getting possessed by Thor right. when Odin wanted Thor to learn humility and all that. Right. He created Donald Blake, created like this fake history for him. And Donald Blake was like a semi-cripple. He's got the walking cane and, and that's what he would stick, uh, you know, hammer into the ground to turn back into Thor, blah, blah, blah. When Thor was Thoring, <laughs> Donald would go into this like infinity town of like kind of like Pleasantville, uh-huh. where everyone knows him, everyone's super charming, and everyone's happy, and they're all waving. He's sure. like, "Hi guys!" Yeah, it's co- referred to as like an unplace of Odin's making. While Thor rages above against Titans and anti-gods, Dr. Donald Blake awakens mid-stride in a small town of peace and tranquility. And though he walks yet with his trusty cane, he feels no pain, nor sorrow, nor sadness in this beautiful summer land. Respected, loved, and admired wherever he goes, Donald Blake takes his endless day stroll, daily stroll as the never-setting sun bathes him on a perfect cloudless day. And when he is summoned back to the world above, the good doctor has no knowledge of the time that has passed, of how many days, weeks, or sometimes years he has walked. Hmm. And it zooms out and, like, it's this giant, like, tree suburb 
type. Yeah, place. just all bathed in golden light and paradise. Yeah, physically, it is placed under the world tree. It's like within the roots of the world tree, kind of a thing. Okay, and it's just this like little white picket fence paradise for Donald yeah. Blake to mm-hmm. live peacefully and blissfully and ignorant of everything else. So that's a little bit of background. And then you have Thor summoning or calling Loki to Asgard. And Thor is like, so here's what's going on. I need you to lie for me. And Loki's yeah. like, I'm not the God of lies anymore, dude. <laughs> I am the God of stories and stories and myths, I think. Uh I shed that uh, name. Cool. So we need a second God of lies. (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, what we like, and this kind of spawns back all the way to Journey into Mystery. Kieran Gillen's run. Yeah. Yeah. When he's like, I'm the God of stories. And like, they kind of like twist and evolve God of lies into God of stories. Yeah. And that was so much fun. And I love that they're still doing this. Totally. Yeah. Doing this, that, whatever. But yeah, so Thor's like, listen, I just need a weekend. I'm I'm losing my mind. I just need a break. The weight of the crown is heavy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah. So I'm the I'm the god of myths and stories. I'm no longer the god of lies, never again. Damn you. I'm trying like hell to write a new and better one for myself. Mm. But that being said, I can still smell lie across the stars. <laughs> <laughs> so he picks up Mjolnir and throws it at that poor Thor. <laughs> and Loki's like, oh, you didn't think I knew? <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. And he's like, I know where Donald Blake goes when you swap Thor, but I also know where you go when he is here. You go to the Elder Sleep, where you can commune with the spirits and the old, and the old dead kings. Anyone can pick up Mjolnir. The ancient Asgardian magics are coming apart at the seams. Someone or something is destroying destiny, and you want answers. And Thor's like, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, okay. And in the meantime, you want me to babysit your dreadfully dull doctor friend. Yes, fine. <laughs> Truly? You mean that? <laughs> you would do this for me? Yes, Thor. I want these answers as well. Besides, you will owe me one rather absurdly large favor that I look forward to uh, to you regretting in the future. <laughs> and Thor's just like, okay, thanks. So <laughs> Thor does the big drop and Loki's like, Thor did it. And then he has like the shocked face and then because shit's going down all of a sudden. Yeah. And then Thor goes to do this whole like elder god thor sleep thing yeah and as soon as he goes thor notices something is horribly wrong the elder spirits the ancient kings they turn their eyes from thor not in anger or disappointment but in dread and in shame and guilt for they know what the thunder king is about to witness his burden to carry his shadow to cross (laughs) what they themselves could not stop for you see at some point in the beautiful dreamlike days inside the kingdom of donald blake something went wrong Uh and oh my god he shows up in this neighborhood and it's like red yeah the same the same suburban paradise bathed in yellow sunlight is now just a blood red sun with bodies everywhere and burnt husks of trees i was audibly shocked yeah when i turned this page yeah that's crazy there's like blood writing on the sidewalk saying why am i awake another one just saying why like this as creepy as pleasantville became a hellscape we get other views so okay so the same way i showed you this first page 
Yeah. We have five cut scenes. One of the guys, lawnmower, this, this couple and their kids, this ice cream truck, five panels. We get those same five panels now. The guy at the lawnmower is run over. Oh, geez. The dogs are eating the innards of the two owners that he was walking by. The ice cream truck is is broken down. The ice cream guy is hanging out the back, bleeding, <laughs> just blood everywhere. And then you have you have blood writing saying, is this hell? You have another one that says, Thor, where are you? You have another thing saying hell. And it's kind of funny that the hells are two L's because Donald Blake is not as guardian. <laughs> yeah. That sounds metal as hell, man. <laughs> right? We have another mirrored panel of that faraway shot. Yeah, it is and always will be a prison. But now the gates have been unleashed. The serpent got to the bird. The sun was trapped by the shadow. And now, now the great serpent is dead. Oh, yeah. Is that the Midgard serpent? No. Yeah. It is? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we go back to Asgard and we have... Donald Blake in this like dragon scale armor yeah. holding a, a scalpel and like a club. And he's just like, hey, he's Loki, got a what's big, up? Crazy long beard with blood all over matted in it. Yeah. So Yikes. he's lost his mind. What in the world? <laughs> Loki tries to, to magic attack him. Donald is like, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Basically, by killing the Midgard serpent, he has stolen its powers. Somewhere along the way, Donald Blake has gotten this like ability to steal power. Okay. He stole from the from the serpent and now he can fight and he's got he uses his scalpel like a fucking surgeon. <laughs> he gets Loki in the neck with it. Loki does not stand a chance. Wow. But the first issue ends with Donald Blake taking his cane and snapping it in half. Okay. And he's like, yeah, F this. He says. No, I am no Thor, and I never will be again. Okay. Yeah, so that's... So, Frey now is dealing with this evil Donald Blake who has lost it. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's insane. I don't need to go detail out every single issue but i really needed to go through yes that that first issue basically so he goes to the all book that uh-huh. we we're talking about earlier because he basically is connected to thor he's able to look at this book and he pulls out all these different pages of other people who have had the power of thor okay there's this guy roger norvell who was thor for a bit sometime long ago there's also Thunderstrike, who had the uh-huh. power of Thor. His son is on the last version of the Asgardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. but he is dead currently. Okay. Basically, he so he tore out those pages. So it seems like he's got an issue with other Thors. He goes to the armory and steals Yarnborn. Yarnborn is an enchanted axe that Thor used before he was worthy of Mjolnir. Right. Yes. I was introduced in Jason Aaron's run yep. when he was doing all this time traveling, storytelling stuff, uh-huh. not time traveling, time hopping, storytelling. It's telling three different eras of Thor. Yes. Yarnborn is enchanted to basically be able to cleave a dragon. <laughs> like you do. So basically it's, it's a very sharp ax. <laughs> <laughs> 
so he takes Yarnborn, he sees the destroyer armor, and he's like, ah, oh, I wish, because he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't remember how to activate it. Okay. So anyway, in the armory, he gets confronted by Sif and Beta Ray Bill and Volstag and a whole bunch of guardians of Asgard. He destroys them. Oh, no. No one can freaking match him. He gets Beta Ray Bill. And he yanks the like Asgardian enchantment out of them. Oh my god! Boom! Wow! Yeah. So for those, for anyone who knows Beta Ray Bill, he kind of looks like a horse head. Yeah. Corbinites don't look like that. Corbinite is the alien race that he is. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not not the followers of of British politician Jeremy Corbyn in this instant. No. Not this time. <laughs> we'll be talking about Brexit. In the Nomon part of this book, <laughs> Corbin, Corbinites have just like a bald head. It's a small kind of pinhead. They don't have noses. It's just a face and mouth. I mean, I didn't eyes know that. and mouth. I thought they all yeah. looked like Beta Ray Bill. Interesting. No. Yeah. When he got his Asgardian enchantment, that's how he got the horse face. It doesn't make sense if you ask me, but whatever. Yeah. Like, why does <laughs> something about else? being Asgardian enchanted? Right gives you a horse face but whatever but, but only it, not to humans no <laughs> only to corbinites yeah. <laughs> so he yanks the enchantment out of him so now bill's depowered volsag gets in the way so he doesn't get the kill people try people failed he is such a beast with the scalpel anytime he like parries an attack he like strikes their hand and their arm like eight times with the scalpel so they can't even wield their swords anymore. Whoa. Yeah, he's destroying this attack. But Sif attacks him, he takes her sword. So now he's got Yarnborn in one hand and he has Heimdall's sword in the other. Okay. So he now has control of the Bifrost. Yeah. Yeah, so he uses the sword and sends the entirety of the Asgardian population into this place called Dimension Blood. That's not a place you want to go. No. It is the ancestral hunting grounds of the Vampa Cabra, the farthest place from the fields we know. Anyway, we don't spend a whole lot of exposition here, but there's a giant fly. And then for... Another side reminder, the the population of Asgard are the Asgardians and then also the inhabitants of those five planets that they went and saved the populations of to harvest the planets to give Galactus those extra powers in order to fight the Black Winter. So Dawn sends all those out there. And then now that he has some peace and quiet, he goes and gets a shave, (laughs) cuts his hair, puts on some normal clothes. He's uh, 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 presentable Respectable now. looking, yeah. Uh-huh. Thor gets some exposition from a dying world serpent, Jormungandr. Yeah. I guess he's not technically dead, but okay. know, it is what it is. And yeah, he took he took Jormungand's power. That's how he has to like stealth, the, the stealing thing, I guess. Huh, okay. Donald goes and finds Jane Foster and goes out to lunch with Jane. Uh-huh. As another person, human who's had the power of Thor. Well, no, he doesn't know that she was oh, a right. Thor. Oh. He's been gone for so long. Wow. Okay. And he's only going for Jane because of the like old romance that they used to have. Interesting. Okay. And so they're like catching up. 
And Gene's like, you didn't know I was a Thor? Gosh, it's been so long. And then he starts to fantasize about stealing her power and ripping it out of her. But she's not Thor anymore. Right. But like, but but she's currently a Valkyrie. She's the only Valkyrie. Yeah. Like, it's a whole thing. While that's happening, that's when you get that scene with Ratatoskr. Ratatoskr is the squirrel that in Asgardian legend or in Norse legend that lives in Yggdrasil, the world tree. And yeah. he basically runs around spreading gossip. Like, that's his thing. Mm-hmm. Ratatoskr goes down into the unplace and meets up with Thor. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And, and Thor's like, Ratatoskr, please tell the Asgardians where I am. But he's like, yeah, I would, but Asgard is empty. Huh. So what do you, uh, what do you expect? He's like, what? He's like, yeah, I don't know where they are. <laughs> okay. So Donald's kind of freaking out because he doesn't know what to do with Jane. And Jane is, Jane is a very perceptive lady. And she's like, something's wrong with you. He's like, I gotta go. So Jane goes back to the morgue, her boss that knows that she's a Valkyrie. Uh-huh. They just got, Roger Norval, who is a pastor. Oh, and yeah. The reason why this is insane is because you get to see how brutal Donald oh, no. is. Because oh, no. I'm not ready for this. Well, we don't actually see it, but okay. it's only it's told. Came in this morning. This is this is from her boss. Came in yeah. this morning. At first, I thought it was an animal attack. Not much left to even identify him as human, except for his dental records. Oh. Though his teeth weren't exactly in his mouth when he came in. Oh my God. Took some time to get a name back, but I think you'll want to hear it. Guy's name was Roger, Roger Norville. She's like, oh my gosh. He used to be like you. He was Thor, right? Like back in the day. And then Jane runs away and she's freaking out. So now she's like, shit, Don, I can't, it's not, How? what is happening? Like Roger shows up like this. You show up out of nowhere. Something is weird. Yeah. While that's happening, you <laughs> you have Don in this like swampy place, and he's like, "Come on, man, come out, come out, wherever you are. You think I'm scared of you? Show yourself, you little bitch." And then he gets hit with another like cell wide lightning because I love the lightning in this. <laughs> yeah. And you see this speech bubble from from off panel says, "I was not hiding. I was hunting. Now get up and run." And and you get this, you get Frog <laughs> Thor showing the f up, and then, fresh off his call out and power pack, right? So you have Throg. So Lockjaw and Beta Ray Bill are mm-hmm. warbound from the time that Beta Ray Bill spent with the Inhumans a few of our years ago. Okay. Lockjaw was hanging out with with Bill and he was going to be able to save them. But then Lockjaw realized that Throg was going to be in trouble and Throg and Lockjaw are warbound from their time on the Pet Avengers together. (laughs) So Lockjaw went to Throg to give him the heads up and Throg is like, all right, let's fucking go. So so now you have like an issue and a half long fight between Frog Thor and Donald. Wow. It's cut between like other scenes and shit, but Donald is getting knocked and like, he cannot beat Frog Thor. (laughs) And it is amazing. Like I've known that Frog Thor has existed. I, and he has been like an offhanded joke yeah. Or just a cameo right. for like ever. I've never seen him fight because I've never read Pet Avengers. Yeah. And he's a beast. It feels like this is the first time that we actually get 
Donnie Cates, or I, we, we get a serious interpretation of what a God does mm, <laughs> and like what a God brings to the table. Okay. Because the gods in these books are so they're on a different power set. Yeah. And like anytime we cross paths with someone that they used to be quote unquote on even levels with, sure. it's always like, I never took you seriously. Uh-huh. I'm a God. Yeah, what did you yeah. expect? Interesting. Okay. And so we have this frog Thor and it's just insane. And we get a Thor dark, dark world climax type fight because. Hey, I always loved that. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a great part of that, of that movie. Not yeah. Gonna lie. You have Donald bifrosting him and Frog Thor places because he cannot fight Lockjaw and Throg at the same time. <laughs> but Lockjaw is chasing them. And so they keep on teleporting. They do like one swing here, teleport, one swing there, teleport. Yeah. And the cl- that montage ends with, well, it's supposed to end with Donald biting and eating Frog Thor. What? <laughs> To which is answered by baby frog Mjolnir shooting out of Donald's <laughs> mouth and breaking out his entire jaw and teeth. Oh my God. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then summoning the hammer back and hitting Donald in the stomach, <laughs> thus spitting out <laughs> Throg to continue the battle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's is, great insane and like it's that scene that i'm like holy shit yeah throg (laughs) yeah throg that's dope yeah and then it ends with lockjaw biting don's hand that's holding the bifrost sword yeah yeah throwing donald at throg as throg comes at him and and landing the hammer right on the bridge of his nose oh my god Knocking Donald the F out. (sighs) That's intense. What a battle. So they take him to Dr. Strange to try to interrogate Donald to see what the hell is going on. Yeah. Donald fights back. Donald steals in attacking Strange, finds out that Strange tapped into Asgardian magics to fight Loki when Loki took over as Sorcerer Supreme for a little bit. Okay. So gained that knowledge. And so he now knows that you can gain more power from stealing it from Yggdrasil, because that's Mm. what Strange did. Mm -hmm. Dawn, in his madness, goes back to Yggdrasil and starts chopping away at Yggdrasil with Yarnborn. Oh, my God. This sap is starting to bleed out, and he's, like, taking on the blood and sap to make himself even more powerful while that's happening. Jane Foster goes and finds Odin and is like, you have a mess to clean up motherfucker. Uh And then we get a little bit of background of what Odin's been doing ever since he gave King hood and basically the, the, the the all power to Thor. And without it, Odin has since lost his identity And Freya has left him because she's tried consistently to try to console him and to no avail. And eventually, as soon as Odin was like, okay, let's work on this. She was already gone. And so he got super depressed and has been drowning himself in liquor. Okay. And Jane basically says, 
listen. <laughs> Donald Blake is free. He knows what he is, why you made him. He's gone mad. He has slain the Midgard serpent, stolen his power, imprisoned your son in the prison you made for Blake, banished all of Asgard to some sort of hell dimension, Now and now he is free. And as we speak, he is ripping the world tree apart with his hands to gain the all power. So no, Thor. So, so no, Thor very much cannot take care of himself. So get sober and he, and boom, that'll do. I'll get my armor. <laughs> like this is the greatest exposition dump to uh-huh. the man that deserves an exposition dump. <laughs> anyway, Lockjaw Strange are tasked with going and saving all the Asgardians. Strange is surprised by how many people there are to save because of all the extra aliens. Right. While doing that, we see Loki is like, I'm here to help you guys too. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Dawn is stealing more of the sap to get the all power and then all of the asgardians show up including throg and he's like let's fucking do this <laughs> and then don's like oh you guys really want to do this and then odin shows up and puts him in his place and he's like hello and then don's just like ah yes father let's do this so all this is going on more crazy lightning and Thor sees that the tree that Yggdrasil is bleeding. So now a connection is starting to happen between outside of this little no place and where Thor is. And so he has his ravens back and the ravens are like, okay, what do we want to do? I can't transfer your, your body. He's like, yeah, but he can transfer my soul. And the, and the ravens are like, yeah, but what kind of body do you, would you need? Well, like, what vessel were you putting your soul in? He's like, oh, I have an idea. So <laughs> Thor, Thor puts his soul into the destroyer armor uh-huh. <laughs> and it's got the Thor symbol on the chest. Nice. And so now destroyer Thor is here <laughs> to destroy Donald Blake, his brother as created by Odin. <laughs> <laughs> so like they have such a brutal one-sided fight. Oh no. Destroyer armor is just wrecking house and like just the destroy armor is big and bulky and it yeah. looks like it punches really hard and yeah. all that kind of stuff but for some reason the frame that looks like it hurt the most is this like just straight up heel kick <laughs> on donald just like the wow. amount of like the the body positioning yeah just the art behind it is yeah. just so hard <laughs> and it's such a contrast because like usually with Thor, it's all blue and lightning and sure. all of the action behind this is all orange and yellow and red. Mm-hmm. And like, it just adds so much more impact to it. Anyway. So Donald's like, okay, you know what? You're really going to come at me with an armor made by Odin. And so he's going to try to steal the power of the destroyer armor. Okay. And then Bill gets Mjolnir and gets his his Asgardian enchantment back and gets his horse face back, throws Mjolnir at Donald. Donald gets taken down. And then to keep him down, Doctor Strange uses the Crimson Bands of Sidorak to hold him. Basically, Don just does not want to be caged again. Kind of like Madeline Pryor from like Don of X, <laughs> just like, I, I'm not going to be a puppet anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. So, yeah. Odin's like, I created you, and that was a mistake. I am long overdue to make right. Uh, when I'm over, long overdue to make right. Donald's like, then stop talking and do it. Make it end. I never asked for this. I never asked to be the son you threw away. 
please, please just, just make me what you always wanted me to be. Make me nothing. And when he said, I never asked to be the son you threw away, it's an off panel quote because it's showing Loki. And oh. He has this like broken face. Yeah. He keeps on flashing back to Loki. And huh. Odin says, very well. Loki says, no. Don says, do it. Loki pulls out the um, two halves of the stick that, uh, what's his face was that using? Just, yeah. That Blake was using. Thor in the armor says, father. And then Loki puts the magics, the two pieces back together, tosses it to the story armor, says, Thor. <laughs> Odin says, consider your prayer answered. And then the story armor grabs the stick and says, nay, you will do nothing, father. And slams the stick on the ground summons the body back into the destroyer armor and steps out of the destroyer armor as 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 physical king thor because that that's the key is the hitting the the stick on the ground yeah. he says i am the king not you <laughs> he's like oh my god <laughs> odin is now on his knees and he says son this this is my problem i i caused this created it i i have to fix this Thor says, I, this, all of this is your doing. And you have my word, father, you and I will come to a reckoning, but not today. It says, son, I, and Thor turns his back on him and says, I trust you know your way out. And he says, son, please give mother my love. And Odin just falls silent, just says, I, of course, because Thor has no idea what's going on with that. All this time, Dawn is still in the Crimson Bands of Sidorak. Thor tells him to release him. He says, why are you doing this? What game is this? Why would you spare me? He's like, because you are my brother. And it shows Loki in the back in all shadows now. You are made from my father. Whatever it is in your blood that makes you what you are also flows in me. So no, Donald, I will not kill you. But then again, I have never been above hurting my brothers when they fall out of line. No, wait, I, ah, yes. Then we get a classic full screen lightning bolt hitting Don because he can take it. Loki says, brother, and Thor's like, what do I do with him? And Loki says, he has done evil, that is true. He has caused a great deal of suffering and pain. And in a way, he did those things because of how he was made of the path that was chosen for him. He did not ask to be born into this family. I will handle this. So what will you do? Brother, you asked me to lie for you once. Tell me, do you want me to lie to you now? Mm. And then we get into this like basement kind of dungeon place. Donald is tied up where there's a giant serpent dropping some venom into his eyes because that is the punishment that Loki was given in Asgardian legend. I think because of killing Balder, Uh but basically he's chained to a rock slab and a serpent will be dropping venom into his eyes for the, in perpetuity for the rest of until Ragnarok, basically brutal. Yeah. says, Look around you, your home. He says, no. And he's, uh, you wanted to be real, to be a god. And so you shall have it. I renounce my title. It is yours now. Congratulations, huh. Donald. You now sit on the throne of the god of lies. Ever uh, shall you reign. And he leaves and closes the door and is just screaming and says the end. So we have, we have our second god of lies. We have the second god of lies. One yes. of four boxes checked. Yes. This was brutal. Like, yeah. Good God. Seems like there have been a lot of brutal books, like last volume of Spider-Man, where he just keeps getting killed. Last Remains, where he actually got killed. Extreme to death with a stick, with a rock, neck snapped, drowned, filled with maggots. Like, yeah. Oh, even like 
I didn't spend much time on it, but like <laughs> even Pete punching through Kindred's head. Oh no, you spent some time on that. Yeah, that was but that was like, outrageous. But as far as like as far as like symbolism of it all, oh yeah. Like, that Pete got to the point where he wanted to kill Kindred and on top of that, followed through with it. Yeah. Or tried to follow through with it. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. He punched through his best friend's head. Yeah. And shot webbing out the back (laughs) and then spun him in the air and threw his body at rubble. Like... So brutal. As as anti-killing... As yep. Peter Parker tries to be. Yeah. How, like, oh my gosh. Even back in black, when was the, like this period of time where he wasn't taking shit from anyone uh-huh. and he was wearing the black suit and Kingpin's in jail and he goes and attacks the Kingpin and fights him man to man and just beats the shit out of him grabs him by his skin chest the, the skin of his chest holds yeah. him up kingpin he's a big boy yeah and just slaps him non-stop yeah. until he can't even stand anymore yeah and he had he was angry enough to do that because kingpin ordered the hit on aunt may yeah. but had the restraint to not kill him in that moment uh-huh. Kindred earned that, yeah, like that next level, yeah. He, oh my gosh, okay. So back to Thor, yeah, sorry, yeah. So Donald Blake is insane, yeah. Throg is amazing, that was s- some sweet throg, mind blowing that they gave Donald Blake like a new purpose, uh-huh. like, yeah, now that the world is so into Thor. Uh-huh. And he's never had a reason to go back to being Donald. Totally. Like yep. that they brought him back and made him this insane threat is yeah. wild. That is wild. Yeah. And now he's the, the new God of lies. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, again, just a, an interesting way to, to remix history and continuity into telling new stories. Kudos. Oh to my that. gosh, dude. Yeah. And just like, it was just so brutal. Yeah. Even though we've covered it in such great detail, I highly recommend yeah. people to read it because the visuals are so mm-hmm. insane. It is such a good read. That one is going on the bookshelf for sure. Is there a line of too brutal for you? Like, not like you're actively squeamish or like, you know, but like, just like, man, I don't, I just don't want to read that. <laughs> like, oh, like that, that took it. Like it, the the gratuitously brutal, yeah. Like Punisher Max, okay. I think went a little too far. Sure. Like there's one scene where Punisher beat this guy who is like a walking like stone wall, and the guy is lying on the ground, and he already won. Yeah. And then shoved a safe off of the desk and land, and crushed his head. Oh God. And I was like, that is. Yeah, that's a bit much. (laughs) Like it was just driving home the point of like this version of Frank Castle because that was like the first volume. Yeah, they had to set a tone. Yeah, and even then, I don't know if it's like too brutal. Okay, it's kind of tangents, but like there was a critique of Sons of Anarchy at one point that I heard where 
they got to the point in the later seasons where they're doing stuff just for the spectacle mm-hmm. to like to try just to top to up the, ante. the last yeah. the last season kind of thing yeah and like that's typically where i would draw the line sure that but makes sense comics kind of restart and revamp often enough that i don't yeah. think it's that much of a problem that makes sense yeah i mean it it can get there i just don't think it has recently okay that makes sense did you want to do amazing spider-man well on the bright side Amazing spider-man is kind of short okay i'll just go over it real quick sounds good basically aftermath from last remains you have the order of the web deciding to call themselves the order instead of order of the web because order of the web took too long. <laughs> you have the order confronting Pete. Basically we have a little bit of aftermath stuff. Yeah. Cause the order of the web was targeted during last remains in the yeah. companion book and what they, they survived, but they got wrecked. Right. Yeah. They got stalled by sin eater and then right. sin eater took out Julia Carpenter, got her abilities to see the right. web of destiny, realized that he was just a pawn. And so he took his, he took himself out of the equation. Right. And while that was happening, MJ got hit with a pumpkin bomb, which we find out was a fake. It was just a flash grenade with some huh. smoke. Okay. To basically throw Harry off huh. because even though he's wearing the costume, Harry, I mean, Norman is still sent like, sin resolved oh right yeah yeah you get to see how good of an actor norman is <laughs> because when he's with kingpin he has to be this like ruthless evil guy because he technically works for kingpin because kingpin is the mayor and he is the lead he's he's the head right. he's the director of ravencroft right so right. kingpin's his boss and so he puts on this i'm still evil norman osborne face when kingpin's hmm. around when it's just him and Harry, he is like, I'm so lost. I'm so confused. All the bad things I've done feel like a distant memory. I don't, I'm kind of messed up right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then the whole plan revolved around Kingpin. Are you, do you know slash remember the spot? No. What's that? He's a Spider-Man villain who Oh, the the character the spot. He like yeah. reaches through like portals and stuff. He's kind of like halfway stuck between realities a little bit. Yeah, he's connected to the dark force dimension. Okay. There's like there's like two or three there's blackout, spot, cloak, dark star. Dark star. They're all connected to the dark force dimension. Yeah. Which is basically just a dimension of blackness. Yeah. <laughs> something something teleportation something something black yeah the spot was used okay so so in secret empire they use a a dark force dome on manhattan that's how they take most of superheroes out of the equation that's also how kingpin got the favor of new york because he was running around helping everyone Mm -hmm. that's how he got voted into being mayor but he got inspired by that and so they took the spot and learned how to harness his, his powers to make little like dark force, like prisons, basically. Interesting. Okay. So they use that to, to lock kindred down. Oops. Sorry. Uh, they use that to lock down kindred. So he just had to be distracted and that's what Norman was supposed to do. So they get kindred locked up in this giant dark force cube. Mary Jane tells Pete to just play along because she's fine. She's not mm. hurt. Mm-hmm. Then they get Kindred locked up and taken away by Fisk. 
and all of the sins are now out and returning to oh. all the people that mm-hmm. had their sins taken away. Okay. So Fearsome Four, Juggernaut, yeah. Yeah. they've all since gotten their powers back and are, and are loose again, basically. Perfect. Wonderful. Yep. But for some reason, Norman Osborn's sins have not returned. Hmm. And so Norman sure about that. that. (laughs) Well, he said he's a good actor. That is a good point. Son of a bitch. All right. So (laughs) this entire volume, he is doing, he, he, fuck you, dude. How dare you? (laughs) But uh, basically, in this dark force holding cube, one of the arcane scientists that work for Norman have made it so Kindred can talk and he can hear, but he can't move. And so Norman is trying to talk to Harry to get him to tell him what he meant. Because right at the very end, right before he got captured, he says, okay, when it's down to just Harry, Norman, and Pete, he says, this is all I ever really wanted, you know. The three of us together, me, my father, and my best friend. Sounds like the start of a bad joke, but then I guess it was. I'm sorry. I know this has been hard on all of us, but I needed you to suffer like I did. That's the only way you can see the truth. The only way I'll remember what you did. Pete, I knew if I just came after you or the people you loved, you'd make it another chance to play hero. I needed to show you that you are the cause of their suffering with your sanctimony and your hubris always making everything worse. And you, Dad, well, I knew the goblin would never let you feel pain, so I had to take him away. Now pain is all you are. I thought if I did all that, it would get through to you both, but you can't even remember. That's how powerful the lies are. So this is where we start. You're going to leave here and try to unravel all this. And as you dig deeper and deeper, you'll find it. The truth you've been running from. I I loved you both so much. Why did you do this to me? And then he's locked up and that's the last he's spoken. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. So you have... Norman trying to get Harry to talk, trying to figure out what's going on with that, what he meant by all that, because Norman doesn't get it. Pete doesn't get it. Martin Lee had gotten his sins removed and he went to go to the feast center that Aunt May is currently running. Uh And then the inner demons show up to try to take him. Martin Lee ends up getting his sins back. And so he turns back into Mr. Negative. Normie. Normie, who is Harry's son with Liz Allen, who is the head of Alchemax. Right. Normie reveals that he knew that all of his, that his parents have been lying and that Harry has a hidden stash of goblin grenades, bombs, and okay. a glider behind the closet. Liz oh, Allen is freaking out because Pete shows up and lets her know what's going on with Harry. She's under the impression that he's happy and good and he's on a work trip. Oh. And Pete just breaks it all down for her, but removing the pieces that give away the fact that he's Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then Norman Osborn shows up and he's, and Norman's trying to make things better with Liz and Normie. Takes Liz and Normie to go see Kindred to try to get through to him. And other random comic book shit. <laughs> we find out that Kingpin, the reason Kingpin's involvement in all of this is that Remember when we talked about the tablet of life and destiny that Boomerang and Spider-Man are going around collecting the pieces of? Mm -hmm. This was like four volumes ago. Right. We find out that there are two tablets. Okay. And Martin Lee has the other one. 
Okay. Because the second tablet is the tablet of death and entropy. Basically the yang to the yin of the tablet of life, life and destiny. And with the two, the user arguably could contr- have control over something little called a little something called resurrection. Huh. And that's what Kingpin's going for. Don't know why, but it's probably Vanessa related because that's yes. all Kingpin ever does. Yeah. Anyway, other random things happen. Carly Cooper is attacked by a giant centipede. So that's going to be a thing. And Mary Jane helps Pete work through some of his trauma that he's got from being killed Mm -hmm. multiple times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of important. Also, we find out that Quentin Beck, I guess, knows who Pete is. Quentin Beck being Mysterio. Yeah, because he shows up and... Gives Mary Jane shit for making a decision about coming to New York with without consulting. Because mm, he's he's involved in the movie. He's the director of he's the, the director movie of the movie in. that she's doing. That's right. Yeah. The only reason why I point this out is because MJ says Tiger's got a lot on his mind, especially Kindred. You know something about this, Quentin, about how Harry Osborne got this way and what he wants. Please, Mary Jane, I beg you, some things are better left unknown. I know your intentions are good, but you know what they say about the road to hell. And so he knows something about Kindred that we haven't touched on yet, which is very strange because Quentin Beck is such a side character. But Mm -hmm. whatever, we'll see. And then it ends with Doctor Strange going to Hotel Inferno and confronting Mephisto. Hmm. Oh, Hotel Inferno, that's the thing in Vegas, right? Hotel Inferno is the casino that Mephisto built in Vegas that right. he was a prisoner of, but Moon Knight and Conchie broke him out and then killed him 85,000 times. <laughs> and somewhere in between that and this, he has regained his throne. Okay. He's ousted Johnny Blaze. So I don't know when that happens and in what title that happens, Okay, but I got to find that. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, Strange shows up and he's like, I thought you would have given, I thought you would have gotten rid of this place by now. He's like, and close down a, a thriving business. You should see the profit margin on this place. It's good to say diversified, Steven. Besides, I kind of love it here. The people are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and Strange is like, yeah. So a friend of mine has been targeting him. Uh, it's a little demon that it's called Kindred. And Mephist is like, oh, I've never heard of him. But, you know. Do you, uh, what do you want to know about him? He's like, oh no, I found a way to track him. Don't worry about that. It's what I found when I looked that has me concerned. I want answers. Tell me, devil, what is wrong with Peter Parker's soul? Oh. And you just have this grinning Mephisto. <laughs> and that's kind of, that's where it ends. So, so not a conclusion. Some deep continuity that they've been yeah. avoiding messing with for a very long time is going to get dredged up. Yeah. Yeah. So that that I'm really looking forward to that. And mm-hmm. it makes me feel like Nick Spencer hated one moment <laughs> in time. And yeah. this is him like trying to address some of it. So I'm really curious where this goes. Sure. And then not a whole lot of closure with Kindred because he's locked up in this dark force cube. Although he is still conscious and he still can hear. And we do get a dialogue thought box from him saying saying he's exactly where he wants to be. So huh. more plan unraveling. Come. Good. Like God. as insane as Last Remains was, it's yeah. not the end of his plan. Oh my goodness. And F you for telling me that. <laughs> so because I, I I was reading this trying to figure out where Norman Osborne's sin might have gone. Oh. Because I uh-huh. feel like 
this is an opportunity to throw it onto something else. I don't okay. know. Yeah, yeah. Because Harry specifically said, in order for Norman to understand the pain that Harry's gone through, right, he needs to not have his sin. Right. So I feel like he's gonna keep that back for some for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like there's some aftermath stuff, but like this was very much a like a lull. Uh-huh. There's a little bit of cleanup, a little bit of like there's still more things to come. Yeah. But like when you have like your crossover book, mm-hmm. you have your climax in the last issue, and then the last like three pages are the uh <laughs> like the aftermath cleanup stuff. Yeah, yeah. This volume was like the last three pages of uh-huh. the climax that was uh, the last the, the first 10, 11 volumes of Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man for Nick Spencer's yeah. run. Yeah. yeah. And then it's it feels a little ham-fisted to work in the tablet of life and destiny and then the darkness and entropy or whatever. Uh-huh. Well, they're setting up more things. They're setting sure. up more things, but like it just eh, that is the part that I like the least. Yeah. Just working in working in that, but it made the that boomerang story make more sense. Sure. And it's all within Nick Spencer's run. So like fine, huh. do it. But like okay. it was just kind of <laughs> odd. Sure. But yeah, so I think I only have like two books to read for next time because then it's King and Black. Oh, nice. So yeah, I'm just, I'm I'm really excited to get to King and Black. And like I was, because I was so focused on King and Black, I was very taken by surprise by these three books for this week. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But yeah, so it was, that was just, that was a lot of fun. Awesome. And I will also point out, we still don't know what's wrong with Mjolnir in Thor. Sure. Yeah. We just got sidetracked by an insane Donald Blake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. So yeah, that was that was a fun fun week. Fun week. Awesome. So yeah, that took that took up a little bit of time. A little bit. <laughs> let's do some Nomon, man. Nomon. All right. So let's see. So we did chapter 13, 14, 13 was require me to pretend, which is a Barry Hoon chapter. Oh, and then uh, uh, so this is when he's locked up in the Panopticon and he paints his own ISIS chamber. Yes. Let's see. Uh, he was hired to paint a portrait of Haile Selassie. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets him because there is a coup that goes on and he gets locked up and tortured and he starts painting his ISIS chamber. Yes. When he is locked up from after that coup. Yep. Government is trying to buy the fire judges. Yeah, back in the contemporary day or Annie, Annie's time. And yeah, Annie's time. And then, yeah. And then chapter 14, the acceleration is Neith wakes up, she gets a check in and says, I want another hour. Yeah. And then, so we're on chapter 15. Chapter 15. So we're back to uh, another sans serif chapter. And this time we're back to Athenaeus. Been a little while since we last saw her. So I'll recap real quick. She's an alchemist who lives in Roman Carthage sometime around the year 400. She's the ex-lover of Augustine of Hippo, who would later become canonized as St. Augustine and become regarded as the father of modern Christian theology. Their son, Adeodatus, died a few years back, which was just a crushing blow to Athenaeus, who would do anything to get him back. She has a dream that a demon covered in peacock feathers or wearing a cloak of peacock feathers tells her that Adeodatus' soul has been split into five parts in the underworld and he can't find rest. 
She then wakes up with a sack over her head, kidnapped to investigate the death of a high political mucky muck named Scipio, who's been cut into five parts, just like Oliver Smith was in the Neath chapters, with salt water around the wounds. Athenaeus was chosen for this investigation because she's the world's foremost scholar on the Chamber of Isis, inside which Scipio was killed. But really, the chamber is a hoax made up by Athenaeus herself in a scroll she falsified called the Querendo Invenietis. Seek and ye shall find. Eventually, through her investigation, she finds the idea that the chamber is actually real, more and more compelling. Not only is the reproduction flawless, but it would selfishly it would give her the opportunity to resurrect a Deodatus. The only thing she needs is the mythical universal solvent, the Alkahest. So she performs an alchemic ritual using her soul as the container to activate the chamber, and quite absurdly, the chamber fills with light. So... This chapter opens with Athenaeus falling through the chamber, through, quote, a world of painful colors and twisted shapes, and ends up in a library on fire. The library is enormous and full of books and scrolls that were considered lost to history or only ever rumored to exist, such as, one, <laughs> Anatomy by the pre-Socratic Greek philosopher Anaximander, in which he describes the function of human organs and the physical location of the soul. Two, Song of the Magdalene apparently not referring to the Christian Mary Magdalene, but, quote, the hidden sister of the Caritas, and in whom was vested the twinned grace of Amnesius, that's amnesia, and Regenesis. I had some troubles Googling this one, but I think it refers to Karate Judaism. Not Karate, but K-A-R-A-I-T-E. Karate Judaism. <laughs> A couple of years ago, me and Rachel went to this play in some, like, warehouse hole in the wall theater in sunset park brooklyn that was the talmud the text of oral laws and their interpretations performed as a kung fu movie <laughs> it, was, it was so weird it was how do you find these things i don't know man i'm weird okay that is the most like what in your history <laughs> pops that up on you? Like, how did you find this? I, I I honestly don't remember. I think Rachel might have found this one. I had, I don't know. You guys are perfect for each other. <laughs> it's really true. My goodness. Oh my god. That okay. So not not to not to like you know go on too long on the tangent. But the other day I was reading New York Times. It was just like flipping through headlines and there was something in there that said like health giant Johnson and Johnson considering breaking up into two smaller publicly traded companies. And I was like, <laughs> Johnson and Johnson. Okay. You got it too. <laughs> but I showed it to Rachel and she was like, I thought the, I saw that. I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> just shareholders meetings. Like we understand that, you know, Johnson and Johnson are two very different aspects of the business. And so you want to decide whether you want to hold, keep your stock in Johnson or, you know, keep it in Johnson or a mix of the two. We can make a third Johnson and Johnson right, <laughs> should yes. you want. But if you prefer, we could do Johnson and Johnson <laughs> instead. Right. <laughs> wow. And then we'll merge with all three and, and be Johnson, Johnson, Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, 
Song of the Magdalene. So karate Judaism. Yeah. Karate Christianity. Not Mary, Christian Mary Magdalene, but a pre-Christian Judaic concept. But also remember that the name Magdalene has been making some appearances in uh, the Neath chapter. Anna Magdalena is the name of the woman with the split brain issue whose personality was essentially erased by the witness. Right. Yeah. And Tubman's wife introduced herself as Maria, like the Magdalene. But anyway... Third book, Blueprints by Theano of Crotone, a woman who was a mathematician and Pythagorean philosopher in the 6th century BC, allegedly designing a uh, steam-powered machine or engine 700 years before the first known steam-powered devices were created. And then number four is The Vision Diary of, I have no idea how to pronounce this name. I'm going to say Arkin of Daemet apostrophe A-R-K-Y-N of D apostrophe M-T. I can't find any historical reference for an Arkin, but Diamet was a uh, kingdom in northern Ethiopia from the 10th to 5th centuries BC, which evolved into Aksum, another kingdom in Ethiopia. And these diaries allegedly foretell the next 2,000 years of Aksum history. So having a through line here with Barry Hoon. And then the fifth book is Socrates's True Analysis of Transmigration. So Athenaeus grabs as many books as she possibly can to save it from the fire and then comes across the demon from her dream at a long reading table. And in the shadows of its cowl, she sees her son's face. So quick digression about her son, about the life decisions that led him to becoming a doctor and to his death. And then I wrote about her own life, meeting Augustine, falling in love, having him leave her, join the priesthood to avoid an arranged marriage to someone else. And then some shop talk from the alchemist life about basically inventing penicillin, quote, a balsam from spoiled food that prevents the spread of infection in an open wound. And then being sent random things to identify, such as, quote, a man sent me the jaw of a huge sea monster and asked if it was genuine. The thing was vast enough that I might stand inside its mouth. So more sharks in this book. Cool. And then she recalls the day her son's body was brought to her in a box filled with honey to preserve the body. My greatest treasure in the world floated in the box midway between the surface and the copper bottom. In the cold of the north, the honey had become solid and borne him up. But now in Africa, it was liquid again, though he had not settled on to the bottom. He must be full of gas. I reached down into the honey and I put my hands behind his armpits, as I had when he was young, and barked his shin or took fright at an angry bee. I touched his skin and began to weep, and he was so heavy that I could not bring him up. I hauled on him and felt the muscles in my back turn from strength to agony to exhaustion, and still he would not come. He was always stubborn. I simply kept reaching for him because I was his mother. It took an hour in the last embrace before his head and shoulders slipped free, and then he sighed, as if I had said something particularly foolish. Back in the library, she walks towards the demon, and as she walks, its face shifts from Adeodatus to Augustine to Augustine's mother. So the closer he, she gets to the demon, the farther she, she gets from her son. She asks the demon, where is my son? And it says, Catabasis is a journey. The dead cannot be awarded. They must be won. If you would return a soul to the living world, you must go down and risk. Others must, not I. Yes, you have the alkahest, and yet you do not know how to use it. Will you make a test of your magic with your son? Bring him back all out of shape, or leave half his soul in Hades with your haste? Your face is a lie. Why should I believe your voice? That is the risk. You said he was torn. Isn't everyone? 
You said he was cast on the ocean of Apeiron. That's an ocean in Hades. Timus says, you have my answer, but I do not understand it. Your story touches my heart. She says, I could command you. Indeed, that is my point. How so? You possess unlimited power, but finite knowledge. You do not know how to frame your assertions to achieve your ends. You do not know the nature of death, so you cannot readily undo it. What you command without certainty is not achieved. I possess the knowledge you lack. You might command me, but in doing so, the possibility of error is recursive. If you knew what to demand of me, you would not require my help. Indeed, your risk is increased as I seek to find ways to exact revenge for your domination. I could wish myself wiser. So long as you already know what constitutes wisdom, changing one's own mind is always troublesome. You could wish for knowledge, of course, but, that, but you might accidentally create things that do not exist in order to know about them. Beasts, persons, worlds. Absurd. Indeed, I cannot think of a single instance in which you have accidentally instantiated an object of universal importance. <laughs> Talking about the chamber. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then the demon says, am I, am I lying? I certainly intend to be. Yes. Yes, in fact, I am. And Athenaeus says, we are to trade then. We are. I will require a gesture of good faith, demon. And he says, demon, I suppose. I am legion, but so are you. Very well, I will show you the door in exchange for the scrolls, and you will bring back the dead. Which of them is up to you? He means Scipio or Adeodatus, because ostensibly she's down here for, for Scipio. So they, they said, you know, we're going to trade. So she has to give the scrolls. And he says, for any, any other soul, I might hesitate. The scrolls and precise instructions for my appointed task. He says, I'm not to be made a shortcut. Oracular instructions then irritatingly vague ones, specific and decipherable without maddening, madness, challenging, obscurantist. <laughs> so that's the end of the bargain that she'll take. And then she says, and, I, and your name from your own mouth so that I can call upon you if, if I have need. And he says, I was the hunter and gazed in a pool and saw myself. My reflection was affronted. I was the heir, the serpent, and now I am cast out or in. It's hard to say. I said a name, not a precise. Alas, impossible. I am torn. Aren't we all? That would be funnier if you knew what it meant. I look within the demon, the eyes I had in my dream, but upon its bones is a confusion of signs that could not be a word. A name agreed between us, to which you will answer. Then I shall be querendo. I will not call you that. Suggest something. How about know-all? Oh, jeez, okay. If you remember, one of the definitions of nomon is one who knows or examines. See, I was, yeah, I was starting to think about like, is he going to call himself no man? And then, as as like generations and time passes, no man turns into nomon. Anyway, so this 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 would be a, a bit of a reveal later, but I want to spoil it now because it'll make your interpretations of the rest of the chapter more interesting this is nomon he yeah okay so because he said that he was legion i yes. immediately started to think that, that he was nomon that was i i purposely included that clue in there it is nomon it is nomon that is it's he okay <laughs> <laughs> and so 
The demon laughs. Indeed, very well. Go through the door. Hades is a puzzle box, a five-fold lock, and it requires a multitude of keys. Keys of words and keys of blood and the flavor of your soul. You're giving me a look. Yes, I know. Continues, something you have, something you know, something you are, and these latter two must be proven twice, so that the five proofs unlock the Pentamycos. Each layer of guardianship has its price. Then he lists the five rivers of, of Hades. Cositus, Styx, Letha, Acheron, and Phlegathon. You must cross the five rivers of Hades and do your will in the place set aside for you. And I shall have my son again? That is your quest. I cannot say what you will eventually attain. Much is prepared for you. Some you must perform. You are a turning of this war, Athenaeus Carthenogensis. I would have you raise the dead, but there are powers, pursuivants, judges and witnesses, authorities and smiths who align against me. Indeed, they set me against what I would now most dearly win. They look in and are dismayed. The ending of your quest is their undoing or mine. Yes, judges and witnesses, authorities and smiths. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I can't be surprised, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, we're at the oh point, you know, we're two thirds of the way in the book and all of these sort of like spiraling out connections between things where you're like, huh, I keep seeing this come come up are starting to weave themselves back together into actual meaning. Yeah. Okay, so looking back, the first major five, I feel like, was Nomon talking to Z, which was the entire planet of a single consciousness. Yes. And Z told Nomon that he'll give him a time machine if he kills the alchemist, the artist, the banker, the librarian, and the hunter. Yep. And then the next time we have a five, other than bodies being cut into five pieces you know, you've got oliver smith's body was cut into five pieces you mm -hmm. have five locks needed to unlock the witness yes these are those five same five locks from the fire spine right and basically the same five locks here i mean they're they're testing the same things a thing that you have two things that you know two things that you are right the connectome and the and the sort of biotic or, or, you know, floral footprint. Those are the things that you are. The two-factor, like, password and username are the things that you know. And the fob is the thing that you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's all following the same pattern. Chamber of Isis is four walls and a ceiling. Yeah. Okay. You also mentioned in passing and didn't bother to, like, if you'll remember, <laughs> Catabasis. Yes. Because Catabasis was brought up when we were doing the whole watching the Witness the TV for Oliver Smith's death. Oh, yeah. It was also the, the band in... Um, it's the band that they were going to go see the, that's supposed yeah. to play. Yeah. Or that was playing. That was playing in that bar. The guy said at Catabasis for the masses. Yeah. Catabasis meaning the Journey descent down into the underworld. Yeah, which is exactly what we're doing in this chapter. Holy goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is, so this is Nomon going and killing the alchemist, potentially. I mean, so Nomon just said there are powers, pursuivants, judges, witnesses, authorities, and smiths who will align against me. Indeed, they set me against what I now would most dearly win. They look in and are dismayed. The ending of your quest is 
is their undoing or mine. And at the end of the Nomon chapter, he goes through the chamber, he gets fucked up, and he vows vengeance against Zagreus. <laughs> chapter nine. Yes. I'll give you a counter narrative. Yes. Yeah. And so that whole thing about the counter narrative being Smith's design, right? To to pull mm-hmm. Diana back together. Anyway, it looks like maybe Nomon is singing a different tune here. So then she asks, you know, how do I use the Alkahest? And he says, it's not a thing to be used by you. It is not magic. It is divinity, a state, not an action. She says, but it's in me. And he's like, yeah, whatever. I'm not answering that. And so she still doesn't feel like she has enough knowledge to accomplish her task, but she isn't getting any more from Noah at this point. So she trades in the scrolls and she's got the great wheel by Empedocles treatise on the naming of mountains by Pythagoras, Enoya and Chokma by Simon Mag- Magus, book of the Ogdoad by Apollonius, the paradoxes of Bahu, which is described as the earliest known mathematical work, listing problems derived from philosophical logic whose solutions alter from the original values, and from these premises deducing or inducing the divine says, together, these represent a thousand years of knowledge with books to benefit every person on earth. And she could, quote, make academic history from, with a single line torn from any of them. Instead, she gives them over to Noal and to the fire. Noal flips them into a blaze. We watch as they flare and fade away. Why, I ask. The demon shrugs, bird-shouldered, and says again, there is a war in heaven. A cataclysm? Not the way you mean. Gods contend. The directions of the compass are at odds. And who's winning? A flash of teeth. I am, I suppose, one way or another. A pause, and then the peacock-cloaked arm rises, pointing. You should go to your son. He points her to her son's coffin and lifts the lid, but instead of a Deodatus inside is a staircase down. She goes in. The stairway gives way to a, a, quote, desert of black sand on her way to a wide river delta. And, quote, there is no other color than black. She recalls that, another quote, in traversing Erebus, it is written, the, the traveler must traverse the corpse of the beloved, five rivers, five parts to the body, two arms, two legs, the torso and head counted as a single piece, and each concealing secretly one of the elements that make the mortal world, fire in the right hand, water in the left, earth in the right foot, and air in the left, the torso and head, the twin vessels of the soul. The sand conceals the skin. The rivers are made of tears. Dig too deep in Erebus, and you will find a heart. She heads towards the rivers. She's guided by stone cairns every 5,000 steps or so. After six cairns, she begins to see souls. At first brief and sparse, but then slowly more and more of them. Then they start speaking to her, some she even recognizes. 50,000 more paces, and then maggots. The reason they kept a deodatus in honey was to prevent maggots and other decay. But here they are, and they form into nine assassins, nine being the holy number of the Trinity times itself. The assassins call her Omphalos, the bridge between worlds. She says, the tears of the mother run within me. I am the Alkahest. Clear the way. But they attack, and she fights back in a rage. They bow, their inchworm backs gelid and slick. Omphalos, go back, or you must die. Step aside. You pursue heresy. Thou shalt have no other gods but God. I pursue my son. You risk turning from visitor to re- resident. Step aside. 
They're so quick. I had not expected them to be so quick. I had thought to see their names in their bones, to command them where the land. The first slash uh, draws agony across my eyes. My own blood in my skull is the first true color I've known since I came here. In the red light of blindness, I see everything. And then she just goes like Super Saiyan. She grapples one of them fighting back in a rage grapples it steals its knives use them arrest and sort of like this out of body bullet time like experience slices up the rest and the corpses all fade away except one which has scipio's face she wonders if she just murdered now scipio in her rage and then time and that was time folded back through the chamber and if his death was part of and the trading of these souls part of her pilgrimage to rescue Adeodatus. She recalls some history of women descending into the underworld. She says, Demeter braved the underworld for her daughter Persephone and held the door open for Aphrodite to retrieve Adonis. Persephone in turn prevailed upon the gray king to send Eurydice back home with Orpheus. The story has it that Orpheus failed at the last, but was it meant that he should? Was it happenstance or some deeper game of the gods? Eurydice was killed by a serpent while fleeing lustful Aristeus, who in turn was the father of Acteon and Macris. Acteon was devoured by hounds, but Macris became the nurse of the infant Dionysus, who was born when the heart of his first murdered life as Zagreus, also a serpent, was placed within his mother. Dionysus was in turn the son of Apollo, who cast down a serpent to learn prophecy, and his wild worshippers devoured Orpheus when the Lyris turned without Eurydice from the underworld. The head of Orpheus still sang as it passed down the river, and that song is the path by which Persephone enters the mortal world again each year, and thus Demeter's end is served. Death is springtime, and the gods are cyclical, like wheat. They repeat, and they return, and they rig the game. Whose game do I play now, and what shall be my reward if I win? Who rides me into Hades, or do I deceive myself? If a god made a disguise, would it fool even her? So she gets to the first river of the dead, named Cossitus or Cocytus, or also known as Lamentation. She has a quick conversation with Noal. He says, the gods contend. I did tell you. Over what, I ask? Why do you fight? Position, Noal says. Position? You mean honors? What? Say, rather, thrones and dominions. This universe is a certain shape. It is a tool for a certain purpose. I wish it to have another. Peacock King, Angra Menu. If you like, I killed a serpent, but it refuses to die. Zagreus, then. Or another serpent. They all look alike to me. In any case, the heart still beats. In a mortal woman, the circumstances are unclear. I don't pretend to know what that means, nor do I, hence a lack of clarity. Gods persist. To root one out, one must first ascend. So you challenge God. God exists to be challenged, possibly also to be eaten, as you well know, to be buried and reborn from soil and caves and holy trees. I want not to be devoured. I would make of this universe a siege engine and storm the castle of the next. I don't wish to be reborn or remade, to become fertilizer for some holy tree or have my heart swallowed by charmed sleep and wake up god of agricultural innovation. I'm quite content with what I am, and I propose to persist, even as the universe changes all around. In this, you and I are somewhat aligned. We are? Of course. Your son is dead. His soul is flown. His body should give itself up to the soil and the air. From his corpse should spring flowers and bees. You reject this. You rebel against death and God. 
You seek his resurrection, a remaking of the universe to a style that suits you. You don't wish to undo the time since his death. You wish to bring him alive, here, now, to be his savior and to be able to save him forevermore. You have the Alkahest. Tell me candidly, possessing it, would you give it up now? With Adeodatus newly returned, would you place him once again in the hands of fate and see him die the next day from falling in a lake? Would you then consider his time fairly ended? Of course not. We are one, you and I. We desire continuity and security of self. She says, continuity for my son. And is he not yourself, made out of you and raised up by you, missing from you now as you might miss a limb? You desire the universe in the shape you would have it, as do I. As our universes are compatible, I say that we are one here. And then she asked for help getting across the river. And he says, get yourself there. And some weird thing happens. A great white wave breaks over the entire land of the dead. She says, I watch it like a scroll unfurling across the night. Then it falls. And then here's a crazy passage here. So I'm just going to read it. The dark beneath the water is the dark of a tunnel, strange and cold. There is light here, ahead of me, and stone beneath and around me. In my wake come the shadows of Erebus. I drift forward, and I see the pale white light extinguish in the glow. On I go. There is something waiting, a strange shell like a turtle riding a cart, and standing beside, a man begs for his life. Do I look so ferocious? There's something silver hanging on a chain. I should take it. The thing calls to me, a piece of my son. I reach for it, but I have no hands with which to lift it from him. Only a nightmare mouth. Later, blue lights spiral and flash, and the water changes around me. And then there's another similar scene. It says, in in cool blue water, I abide. I can breathe. There's no need for haste. The sea is my body. And so it describes like, basically being a shark and having a sense for prey half a mile away, swimming towards it. The warm river washes me and I dream, stationary in the flow and therefore truly resting for this one instant, however long it may last. He stares back at me, tiny and floundering, only now awake to how absolute my dominion here in this place where we both are. What is going through his mind? Mortality? You might think so. And yet there is something more, a kind of greed, an ambition to possess me, carry me back on shore with him and have me as his trophy, not dead, but still living. In acknowledging my absoluteness, he has fallen in love with me. In some quite sexless way, he wants my body to be his and his mine. He drops something down into the deep, a sacrifice of gold and silver. Quick, Noel says, quick. My body is a better mother than my mind and has already dived after it spinning glitter in the dark, leaving the man behind. One, two, and done. I hold my prize. And in turn, I let it fall into the depths of the river. His gift to me, mine to the river. His talisman, my key. On the far side of Coxitus, in the stream that is called Lamentation, I step on dry land and keep walking. Behind me, on the other two, two armies of maggots and peacocks are drowned in the desert. So that was Kyriakos' shark, right? The man is possessed of a certain type of greed, right? He wanted to take the picture to be able to brag about back on land with his friends, but he gets a rush of his own mortality, drops the watch. That's the the sacrifice of gold and silver or the thing on the chain. Mm. She dives after it and he gets away. Oh, weird. <laughs> yeah. And so 
At the banks of the second river, she's feeling her powers. She says, I light a cooking fire and call my dinner by its secret name, blind river bass, the size of feral tomcats and with ugly head like mason's trowels, flop ecstatic at my feet. She uses the food as, as a gift to Charon for passage. He asks her name and she tries to say Al uh, Athenaeus, but she can only manage to say Alcahest. And he smiles and nods, takes her along. Third is the river Letha, the river of forgetting. It's wide but shallow, so she wades through, and trivial things depart from her mind, and her secrets are washed away. Fourth is Acheron, home of Cerebus, or Cerberus. <laughs> it's the river of mistakes and regrets, but Cerberus smells the tears of Isis on her breath and licks her face, contented. He gives it treats and continues on. The last is Phlegathon, and it's made of fire. Phlegathon is not like the others. Lamentation, despite, forgetting, and woe are all the sorrows of death, but Phlegathon is its mystery and its merciless hope. In Phlegathon is, is vested the whisper of the divine and the promise of rebirth. It is the last bulwark of Hades against the intrusive of living, the first wall that holds the dead in their allotted place. It is the stream that binds Erebus to the mortal world, as it must, for everywhere, in all places and times. Phlegathon does not lie placidly in a riverbed, as painters love to show it, with kindly orange flames reaching half the height of a soldier at parade rest. It burns through the depths of the lands into the roof of the sky. There is no bridge to cross it and no ferry, for it stretches from beneath the ground to the highest reaches of the heavens in a burning wall that will admit nothing and consumes everything, material or eternal. So she, uses, she tries to use the alkahest to create basically a, a door, a gate for her. She gets the door, but it won't open. She calls on no wall again. She says, demon, I know you're here. I must pass, I say, gesturing to the walls of fire. Advise me accordingly. No all slips towards me, loping heron steps. The human head cocks to one side like a bird's and then the other way. Almost, I see his beak emerging from the shadow of the hood, peacocking. You lack authority, he says at last. There is a piece missing. Hades is obedient. It is punctilious. This prohibition, then, hinges on the same rule as does the dom domination of the Alkahest. The code is graven in, creation, in the creation. You must have the authorities or you cannot pass the gate. Cerberus has tasted you and is content. Your blood enlivens the soil and binds me. You have spoken your name and given of your memory. Four proofs are accepted. One remains. The sacrifice is not complete. What sacrifice? You walked in the shadow and shape of a god, and upon your altar men made sacrifices. Wealth and time and heart, all aspects of the self. This you must yield up, but you cannot. I did not put my hand in Scipio's corpse. This corpse, lying once again in front of me. Looking away, I find the doorway of the chamber of Isis, barred by flames. Choose, woman. Choose murder of a soul and the resurrection of your son or preservation of a stranger and your blood's abandonment. Choose one. So this is it. This is, you know, murder Scipio's soul, if you dare, if you must. Obviously, she chooses her son. <laughs> Magic, they say, is the invocation of names, and I know only one other name by which to conjure. If I had faith, that might be better, but I don't. Why would I? I exhausted my stock and have seen nothing to put it back. So then, for me... Just this once, for me? Who am I then? Myself, always. I choose my son and drive my hand to the elbow in Scipio's corpse, letting my fingers guide themselves to whatever secret place is desired. 
This is my soul. On the plain of Erebus in the kingdom of Hades, but close by the burning and ubiquitous river of fire, I find an unwanted gnosis, the knowledge and conversation of, of myself. A door opens in Phlegathon. No all is gone, and I walk through the wall. And that's the end of the chapter. Now we have chapter 16, Doors in the World. And yes, it is another one paragraph long Neath chapter. So how long this time? 47 minutes. Impossible to know how long, how much time has passed in the underworld, and pointless to ask since it's fiction. 47 minutes. The memories are bedding in then. She can recall them now as if they were her own. Doors in the world, walking through walls and gates of fire, fire which is everywhere, the world under everything, like the underground, like the substrate. And then italics, it's like putting ingredients in a cauldron. Athenaeus was breaking into the operating layer of the world. And that's the end. That's actually the entire chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So she was out for 47 minutes. She's not asking for another 47 minutes. Yeah, no, Neith Neith was asleep for another 47 minutes this time. Okay. All right. So, all right. So (laughs) she she, she crossed the five rivers Nomon is looking peacocky. In, and last time we had an Athenaeus chapter, she had a nightmare about someone covered in peacock feathers. Yeah, this same demon. That was okay. She had a she had a nightmare about this demon specifically. Yes. <sighs> okay. And then the <laughs> the last river was a river of fire. And yeah. she used the alkahest to make a door. And in order to open the door, she had to trade a soul. Yeah. She basically had to give up a soul to get her son. And she chose Scipio's soul. She chose Scipio's soul, which is her ex? No, no. That's the the political mucky muck who who died inside the chamber. Augustine is her ex. Augustine's the ex. Scipio is the mucky muck. Adeodatus is the son. This might be a tangent. Who's the person that... Died in interrogation. Anna Magdalena. Or wait. Yeah. That who one. Got, not who not, got not lost. Diana Hunter. The one who not Diana Hunter. The one with the split brain who Yes. Yeah. Who had her selfhood erased. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Dude, this this book has a lot of characters. This book has a lot. It yeah. This book has a lot of <laughs> this book has a lot of settings. Yeah, that too. It's worth thinking. I mean, now that we've seen Nomon pop up in a different setting and we've mm-hmm. seen Athenaeus act as the shark, it's worth asking which other characters might be showing up in different places by different names. Right. Yeah, that yeah, okay. So that didn't 100% click. So when she was crossing the first river, yeah. She basically acted as Kyriakos's shark. Yeah. But not the shark that he sees in the Matrix data. I mean, it's kind of the same. He had the encounter with the physical shark. And after that, he started, you know, being visited by these fours in the Matrix yeah. data. And he interpreted that as sort of like a um, a visitation from that same shark that he had this sort yeah. of like oh, shark totem. Okay, so now, so now, so now we're thinking that somebody did a similar trade and ended up 
trading Oliver Smith. Perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. Something completely inexplicable happened with Oliver Smith, but it happened in the Neath world. It didn't happen in one of these sub narratives sure, where but, you know those are happening but in memory. Kyriakos and, and Athenaeus are two different time periods anyway. Right. But what I'm saying is that I feel like there there's more room for fantastical things happening in these subchapters, which aren't, you know, ostensibly they're not happening during the present. They're happening in a sub-narrative, right? right? They're happen they're in a novelist's memories. They're happening in an interpretation of a memory and yeah. not physically in the now. Right. Okay. But wild and inexplicable things happened in the Neath chapter anyway. Yeah. So that the witness seems to be covering up and or, is ignoring yeah. Regno Lenrod. Or doesn't understand or something. Yeah. Ooh. Or the witness doesn't understand. Can you imagine <laughs> fucking a situation that the witness can't figure out? I mean, that's the thing. I think that's the over one of the overriding messages of this book. And I, I think Neith is kind of touched on this in her own like questioning of the situation and why she's kind of feeling such horror right now is that if you're going to give the system and the witness this much power, it has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And any lack of like perfection of, of absolute certainty means that like the whole thing is compromised right? because the whole thing is exploitable. Yeah. And now we just had a chapter where, we've introduced the concept of somebody coming up with something that doesn't exist and having an, an understanding of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And uh, I think the, the line in there at the very end of this Neath chapter, Athenaeus was breaking into the operating layer of the world. That was a callback to something that Tubman said at one point regarding memories and memories getting, you know, too big and expanding. It's like, the code. It's like, have you ever watched? Okay, I might be a real weirdo for this, but you watch like speed runs, right? <laughs> Where uh -huh. like they break through like some aspect of Where the they code. Things, yeah. No, beyond that, where like they find a place to start input inputting and executing arbitrary code, and all of a sudden, like they've just programmed the entire game of like Tetris into Ocarina of Time, and they start playing it. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, it goes beyond speedrunning then and into right. like, you know, they found this exploit that creates a memory leak that go that they can exploit, you know, outside of its normal bounds and, and start executing arbitrary code within the game and overwrite things or overwrite blank pieces of memory. And all of a sudden they are, They've just put together an entirely different program within the game itself. Yeah. That's, that's basically what Athenaeus, she's saying, is doing. And it's like, you know, this is how a lot of normal security exploits and, and you know, things like that work for non-games. This is just the, the most, like, theatrical example of it, I suppose. Yeah. Well, okay, so, like, the anime Log Horizon does something like this. Okay. It's your, it's your, it's your typical people get locked in a video game in mm -hmm. an RPG story. And the second season 
the first thing they want to do is they acknowledge that there's a system that when you kill like a goblin, it drops money, right? Okay. That's yeah. That's like the mechanics of every RPG ever. Right. And now that they're stuck in the world, they're like, okay, there is a system somewhere that grants creatures gold. Uh-huh. Let's go and find that system and get the gold from there. Huh. Okay. Instead of going around and fighting all the monsters, let's go to the source of the gold. Yeah, yeah. And that's basically what the second season is. is they go and find the gold supply. Nice. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of yeah. cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so so when when they're saying Athenaeus is breaking into the operating layer of the world, that's what I'm thinking of. of totally. It's like, okay, there is the system that the world abides by. What if I went and mess with the system instead of try to abide by the system so I can make it work for me. <laughs> oh man. So that mentality. And if you bleed that into the confines of, or the perspective of the witness and then breaking into the operating layer of the witness, you can get someone like Regno who can work outside of the current operating layer of the witness. Yeah. Or, you know, you're going into just kind of like fundamental metaphysical ways in which the world itself works as a whole, especially if you're living in worlds that are based on memory, right? Oh, man. within Diana Hunter's memory and you start overriding and fucking with shit and all of a sudden you're, you know, transcending your status as a fictional character. At the same time, though, this feels like a red herring because <laughs> it feels like he's trying to get us to forget about this whole Diana Hunter self black box reset thing. Right. Nah. Or is it connected? Well, yeah, right. I mean, so yeah, we just need to go back to Kyriakos because we've had we've had a return to Athenaeus and we've had a return to Barry Hoon. Yeah, we need a return to Kyriakos to see how this is going to connect the rest of the pieces. Yeah, it's it's no spoiler to say that that's the exact same next chapter. It's going to be called like that, but with teeth. And it's a Kyriakos chapter. And I kind of see this as a continuation of the catabasis and apocatastasis because they they went Kyriakos, Athenaeus, Barry right. Hoon on the way in, and then Barry yeah, Hoon, and Athenaeus, we're, we're Kyriakos on the out. way back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Whoa, which means we're going to end it. Well, I guess we have to. We're going to end it with Regna because that's the first new person we met outside of Neath and Diana. That's true. Yeah, so this is basically getting to the the end of the second act of the book and then getting to, I think there's only like four more weeks of this left to finish it off. Wild. Yeah. So we might actually finish Nomon the same week that we finish King and Black. <laughs> Sweet. All the side stories for King and Black. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Well... Poor Nibs. Poor Nibs. We're just <laughs> we're so terrible to this guy. Yeah. He seems to be having a good time still. That I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You wanna call it?
I guess we should just call it. Yeah, we may as well just put the outro music here and then uh, call it. Call it a day after two hours. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Talk to you guys well.